no no pre-show banter today. I uh, no, I didn't screw up. I didn't screw up at all. Here we go. Hey, who? What? Get your hands up. Yeah, where you are. Don't move. Don't reach for them guns. Take it easy, you galoots. Put away the hardware and relax. What's Greg? in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about... Radio Mysterioso. Okay, no further ado on this one. Well, I was uh, checking the internets here in the last week after uh, things have been happening, and um, we'll get into the uh, particulars of it here in a minute, but uh, something happened which, uh, which will probably be remembered for a while, and uh, for good or bad, I hope mostly for good. And uh, what I'm talking about, of course, is the uh, Roswell slides and what happened with that on Tuesday when it was announced in Mexico City. And there was a big uh, live uh, show done where they charged quite a bit for tickets to see it live. And also uh, it streamed on the Internet and people paid, I think, something around $20 a pop to watch it. None of us know how much money they made, although some of my guests here might have some guesses about what that might be. The upshot is that uh, something that these researchers had, UFO researchers had, for something like three years, two to three years, uh, some images they had that they said were of some kind of non-human being captured on slide film uh, sometime in the late 1940s, possibly, 1947, if you were lucky, was legitimate and that they were going to announce that. Uh, It was announced, it was shown, and then within two days, the images were released for everybody to look at. And subsequently, the uh, the images were shown to be other than something extraterrestrial, alien, or non-human. And we will discuss that with my three guests here. Uh, and I will stop talking here and uh, introduce... Well, i got to keep talking to introduce them, don't I? In order of how, how they came online here, Kurt Collins, Lance Moody, and Paul Kimball, who are all members of a group called the Rodswell Slide... What, was, what did we call them? Roswell Slides Research Group, and you can blame Paul for that. We were going to come up with some sort of ridiculous name, like, oh, we went over a few things. One was Slide Busters, but, you know, that sounded a little more uh, little more um, uh, recognizable to the project at hand. So that that's what it's called, and, okay, I'm through talking. Okay. I was made aware of this group, and I guess added to it um, a couple of months ago. And when I heard about the Roswell Slides, talked to Nick a little bit about it a couple months ago on this show about what had happened to him. 
when I was asked about it, I said, nothing will happen with this. Believers will believe it. Non-believers won't believe it, or skeptics, or what do you want to call them. And things will continue just as they have been, and both sides will hold up the evidence to show that it's either true or false. But what happened in the last few days is that just about everybody, including people who are 100% ETH believers, have decided that the, the things, the uh, images were not of any kind of extraterrestrial anything. And... Um, Maybe somebody can start with how that happened. Oh, Red Pill Junkie is listening to, and he said he will come on and talk when we get him on the line here because he was actually at that presentation in Mexico City live, sitting there in the theater. And uh, Paul and I guess maybe a couple of you other guys might want to ask him a couple of questions. So maybe somebody can take us through what happened you know, as far back as you want to go, either before the, uh, the uh, unveiling, as it's called, Mexico City, and subsequent events after that, or you know, wherever you want to start. Hey, hey, can I start? I might, I might fade out and the guys can pick it up. I'm, I'm okay, so Kurt. That, but, yes, Kurt. So the thing is, there's a bunch of us that had common interests. And I got on Facebook to sort of connect with friends and uh, really just to get email addresses. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like, well, I guess it became addictive. So, And then uh, um, there was a lot of noise in groups. And I came up uh, eventually with this, uh, you know, a little little clubhouse, almost like a, a Facebook pub, just friends. We call it the uh, Dissident UFO Buffs. And we're just hanging out and it's a lot of joking around do sh- you know share some research but it's mostly it's mostly some um conversation we'll just say that. yeah sharing common interests like you said the slides the slides started being discussed and uh there were people in there from you know all you guys were in it um and uh also some folks that i met from around the world uh, uh and we'll name a bunch of those later um one in particular uh a friend from uh, spain and I'll probably mangle his name, uh, Jose Antonio Caravaca. That's as close as I can come with it. Uh, he um, writes a little English. I don't know that he speaks any, and our communication isn't really that wonderful. But I get the meaning, and I have to translate some things. But he sent me a message and said, hey, why don't we – there's a lot of information coming about the uh, about this, this slides thing. And several of the mem- members um, – uh, particularly uh, uh, Paul Lance and um, Mr. Fernandez, because I couldn't say his name right. Uh, go back with uh, <laughs> Gilles. This, uh, this. Gilles Fernandez. Okay, great. Uh, g- go back for some years with us and, and followed it. But you know, when the announcement was made in, uh, I think it was uh, sometime in November, at uh, the, I think Tom Carey spoke at this American University event. Uh, he was invited to talk about Roswell, and out of the blue in an otherwise serious academic presentation, at least as much as you can while talking about UFOs, he blurted out that they had the uh, smoking gun of, uh, of uh, UFO evidence, proof of uh, alien life uh, crash at Roswell, and it was two images, and they would be announcing it in February. And it was, actually, it was sort of a press. He, he announced that we're going to have a press conference to announce an event. So it's sort of like some kind of a long, elaborate tease. Uh, so anyway, we started talking about it. Jose suggested putting the group together. And so that's we we did and started swapping information and really started snowballing from there. Well, how did it snowball? I mean, I know that everybody saw the images beforehand a little bit. Uh, most people that were of a skeptical mind said, well, this really doesn't prove anything. I kind of said that. Oh, the other thing I wanted to add was that the reason I decided to pay attention to it at this time was, one, I didn't realize it would be so easy to figure out how uh, how earthly and mundane the picture was. 
as uh, Lance told me earlier, a lot of these things usually become uh, nebulous and it's really hard to get any kind of uh, definite handle on them for everyone or at least a majority. And that was one reason I wanted to talk to you guys. And two is because I happen to know two or the three, two or three of the people in the group and they've been on my show. So it was kind of um, imperative almost that I, I, I pay attention to this. So um, the image was released, and but it wasn't released publicly clearly at first, was it? It was just shown at the uh, uh, at the unveiling, as it were, last Tuesday. Yeah, they well, they released this uh, sort of trailer video that's sort of done in a movie style. Oh yeah, and right, I uh, and they they released this thing, and and you you got sort of glimpses of these slides, but it was intended that you'd never really see the thing. So as soon as they released that, I think Tim Printy. This is Lance speaking. Yeah. Soon, I think Tim. I think Tim Printy um, told me that this trailer was out. As soon as it was out, I went and looked at it, and I saw that you got just a, a quick glimpse of the slide. So I quickly went in there and got a, a still frame of that, and I sort of uh, tried to reconfigure it so it was back to its uh, slide format, its four by three format. And I sent that to uh, Rich Reynolds, and he put it up immediately. So this is all within an hour of the thing being released. Now, my my version of that was pretty crappy. I mean, it was terrible. But somebody else, I think in Germany, discovered that they had not blurred out a better image, a, a higher quality image. And that image sort of became our um, our go-to image for what was in the slide. And that was a that was a fairly good image, but we were – we were promised by the promoters that there, that we couldn't see details that were really important. We couldn't see the alien details because, frankly, it looked like sort of like a mummy, like a like a uh, a human mummy, and that's what we all thought when we saw it. But they assured us that there were things we couldn't see in our low quality frame grab that we were going to see later. So uh, I don't know if you want to tell some more of the story there, Paul. Um, sure. Yeah. You know it's. After that, there were things started leaking out. I've contrasted this uh, on the internet over the last day or two with how we operated. We were we opened as soon as we had all this stuff uh, over the last few days. We open sourced it. It's available on the group's website that I set up. You know, Lance didn't, and Tim Printy both did. Here's how we we deblurred the placard kind of thing. We were cooperating fully with each other. So if one person had a piece of information, he shared it with the rest of the group. Now, contrast that with how the slides promoters, and I agree with Lance, I wouldn't call them researchers anymore, I'd call them promoters, um, have operated over the last three years. Secrecy, even amongst themselves, they weren't apparently telling, you know, the left hand didn't necessarily know what the right hand was doing. Some people might have some information, other people might not have other information, which is madness. That's not how you conduct research, um, certainly not at this level anyway. So as, as time went on, certain pieces of information sort of leaked out or dribbled out. One of them was the mistake, and I'm, I'm sure it was a mistake, that Adam Dew, the filmmaker, and I hesitate to use that term, but whatever. Uh, as a professional filmmaker, I hesitate to use that term, but the filmmaker, he let that slide slip, if you will, uh, which is what Lance was talking about. Uh, a little while later, I got information from a source who may or may not have been Rich Reynolds as to the name of a heretofore anonymous 
quotation marks, witness that they featured in the trailer, who had also been featured on science sci-fi documentaries previously. And in the trailer, Adam Duke claimed that this man was a lieutenant, state, or as we would say in Canada, lieutenant, stationed at Roswell in 1947 who had seen the alien bodies. Well, once we had that piece of information, it was, it was very easy for us to determine quickly uh, who that guy was. Tim Printy found his picture in the base yearbook. We determined that he was not a lieutenant. He was a private, a PFC. Um, so the dude was either lying or he was uh, inaccurate, one or the other. And so this went on for a period of about two or three months, I think, after that initial trailer came out until the May 5th sort of reveal where it's kind of like the fall of the Berlin Wall. You know, you sort of think, well, communism's never going to fall, and then suddenly, boom, it's gone. Because I, I suspect the promoters had this idea that, as we say in the entertainment business, there would be a very long tail for this, that they would be able to milk the revenue streams for years on this. And yet, within a matter of really two or three days, it's it's done. I know Jaime Lasan. Yeah, and we had been waiting. You, you know, we had been waiting months, too, because, you know, I think the announcement and when the trailer came out, that was either, like, Perhaps February or January, right. I can't remember. Early February, yeah. And then it was on that day that we found out, oh my God, it's gonna be May fifth, so we gotta we gotta listen to this crap for four or five more months. So we were waiting and we and talking about the thing the whole time, trying to uh, cover little details that we'd get, the people in our group would sort of try to search down that we didn't have a lot because they were hiding a lot of the information. So by the time of the actual release, we had a lot of uh, anticipation. And I think during that time period, Paul, am I right that you sort of got disinterested in the whole thing? I think you had a lot of stuff going on with uh, uh, the politics of your of Nova Scotia where they were going to cut funding for filmmakers there and, and you were attending to that. And if I'm not mistaken, you even left our group for a little while. So the night yeah, of May fifth, like, we were yeah. Well, the night of May fifth, we were all s- sitting around, and and uh, and uh, I wrote to Paul. I said, "You need to come in here because we're watching this thing now." We were watching the feed and making fun of it, and uh, I told Paul we were being in- inappropriate. And uh, he came right back, and we and oh, spent yeah. the night with <laughs> us doing that, which was, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, I thought I, I agree. I wanted to back up a little bit and, and give people who didn't know exactly what was going on here kind of a background of, uh, you know, the, the slides were apparently found offered to this group of UFO researchers a couple of years ago. Nick had told me on my show, Nick Redfern, before that, somebody had called him first, who he never found out who this person was, somebody from Texas. And said that he had images on slides of the alien from Roswell, and he wondered how much money he could get for them. Right. Yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of mythology coming out, and I, there's some names I don't particularly want to use, but there was one source in particular who gave the whole narrative over the time, and and we were pretty much promised, you know, said okay, this couple they're mysterious, they're highly connected, they know the Eisenhowers, and later on the story changed where apparently they knew the Bushes as well, and it it just it, it was you know it was it was like a spy novel, and uh, supposedly the the and the narrative changed too. Originally, it was that the geologist discovered the body in an expedition and then later they said no it must have been a secret base and because of the wife's high military connections they were they were allowed access so there was then there were some you know there were some odd things like that and and uh, the uh, it was very difficult to um find to verify any of the claims about uh, about the individuals and make the connections to put them in roswell or it 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 seemed like 
a house of cards. Or maybe it seemed like you drew some dots and then connected them. Yeah, this was uh, the people were Bernard and Hilda Ray, I believe was the proper names. Well, even before that, David Rudiak said today that they told him that the woman was somehow friends with the first White House photographer. But that story got dropped somewhere along the way. Don't know, you know, it it it, it was done in a in in what I could only call a UFO way. <laughs> the whole thing was done like most UFO stuff is done. Sort of, uh, you can't pin it down. You can't get any real information, and and it's not. It's simply not research, you know. It's wishful thinking and dreaming, and God bless them. They they uh, really they really messed themselves up on this one. Well, you know, you can see an example of that. I kind of left because of the personal attacks that I was getting, and I'm not going to get into that. But I I had sort of uh, put this joke out about a month and a half ago on my blog where I said, "Look, I've been given from an inside source." the slides. I have, you know, high res copies of the slides. And on May 4th, I'm going to release them on a tele a live televised event um for free. You can watch them the day before the Mexico City thing for free. Well that annoyed an awful lot of people who had an awful lot of money at stake. And I'm surprised anybody took me seriously. I mean honestly folks, this sort of shows well, how you're, how the you're missing were. part of it because you said that um that the details would be released in early April. And yes, exactly. That, that was that was a tell, and I think as early as you can get in April is the first, and I think that's <laughs> what this was really all about. <laughs> but the interesting thing, exactly. But the interesting thing, I was just having some fun with these people because if you can't have some fun with with people, uh, why bother? But I was also looking for information too because I thought if you threw this out there, maybe some information would come back, and a little bit did. Uh, Adam Dew, the chief slides promoter for instance, said that, well, this is impossible because only three people have ever seen high-res copies of the slides. And almost immediately, Anthony Bregalia, who's another one of the slides promoters, said, well, actually, it's six. And at that point, something in the back of my mind clicked, and I said, you know what? These people can't even agree on how many people have actually seen the slides. Did they not have I think a this- non-disclosure agreement with uh, the filmmaker or not? Well, who owns? Who would the non-disclosure agreement be oh, with? Because oh, do we want to do we want to tell about who who owns the slides, the company, sure. and who's in it? Go, okay, go um, it, in sure. in the in the film, they um, you know, there's a story about this woman cleaning a house. Well, if they don't name, uh, actually, a dude named her accidentally. He called her cat, and I think that was that slipped out. Well. And um, looking at the slide box, you know, we we scratched for a lot of things. Trying to, it's slide box media LLC, and in their their papers, it indicated that Do Media and also uh, there was a co- another company name. Anyway, the other name that eventually surfaced was Joseph Beeson, and I've, I have a whole stack of things where I trace from one thing to another, including an, an obituary that connected them. But uh, Joseph Beeson's sister is Catherine Cecilia Beeson. She lived in Sedona, Arizona. She's the one that discovered the slides. She sent them to her brother, Joseph. And his connection, apparently he's friends with Dew, but they, he, he developed uh, Dew's sport, um, the website for his whatever his video thing was. And um, I also found some... Um, a website that he had developed for somebody else, and it was um, 
uh, whatever you know, I don't, I don't know the technical details, but the structure for the website was virtually identical for the Slidebox Media. You know, it was like whatever template they used. Uh, you know, there were fingerprints from one to the other, and uh, they were clearly connected. Yeah, Slidebox um, Media is the uh, the uh, website and presenting uh, uh, entity for the Roswell slides too, is what you're saying. Exactly. And okay, then, I'm just trying to make um, things clear for people that aren't. Hundred percent clear, like me, actually, on the uh, sequence of events. Go ahead. Oh well, then the other thing was um, the 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 clincher was, um, and actually I've told part of this out of order, but the information's all valid, even if I'm getting jumbling up the order. Jaime Massan in his um, uh, broadcast uh, from Mexico, a Sunday morning television show, um, mentioned the. Um, when they were getting ready for the show, he said that the actual slides would not appear in Mexico City. And, you know, he didn't specify, but obviously they were going to bring digital copies. And I thought, well, that's like bringing a picture of the Shroud of Turin or a picture of the Mona Lisa to a gallery rather than an object itself. And the whole thing was called Be Witness. But anyway, the, the point yeah. I mentioned, the reason I mentioned that, although it is an important point, uh, he said it would remain with Joseph Beeson. Um, and... From there, we said, okay, aha, you know, and this man's identity has otherwise been hidden, and I think that was a slip. So I don't know that it's important, but it seems important that it's hidden. Uh, and I think since the way this has played out, these people need to be identified, and uh, we're going to try to hold them accountable. Uh, and I think we may have skipped over just the idea of when they did the announcement of how they were actually going to release the slides. They made it clear that it was going to be a big event. It was going to be a uh, you know a theater event as well as live streaming. It was going to happen in Mexico City. And we at that time, I believe, found out that the ringmaster of this was going to be Jaime Masson, who is a notorious uh, UFO journalist, so to speak, uh, in Mexico, uh, a guy that's promoted a lot of things that are extremely questionable, flying horses and, and stuff like that, and a guy who's promoted video that is much clearer than the slides of aliens and stuff that, that just ha- all kinds of stuff like that where why would you even need the slides if you've got this great alien footage? And I think the reason is because nobody really believes that that video is real either. So we found out that he was the ringmaster, and everyone uh, on bo- uh, on uh, on every level of UFO belief all thought, "Well, Jesus, Jaime Masson—that's the wrong person to do something that's, you know, s- going to be scientific." Yeah. Support supposedly that, that was a red flag be for important. a lot of people, yeah, including me. I mean, I, I Masson, I think, lost any cre- credibility a long, long time ago. He's a showman. He's not a he's not a researcher. Yeah, that's the yeah. that's the polite way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, even you can look at it. Even Stan Friedman, uh, I don't want to pick on poor Uncle Stan, but Stan has gone to a lot of things, including X conferences and the Citizens Hearing Hearing on Disclosure. So perhaps he's not the most discriminating person about who he shares a stage with. And even Stan, when asked to appear in Mexico City, took a look at the slides and said, "No, there's nothing about these that look alien to me." So right, well, it wasn't who, just. A- it wasn't just a picture, though. It was the story. There was nothing to connect it to Roswell. Well, there were there, there two things, and sort of subsequently talking to him, you know, I think those were both the two things. The story didn't make any sense. That was clear. But the pictures themselves, if you just looked at even the ones we had, you would say there's absolutely nothing about this that would indicate 
alien, and there's further, as you say, Kurt, nothing that would indicate a tie-in, even if it was an alien, to Roswell. So everybody was staying away from Mexico City, except the people that got on the stage at Mexico City. So those are the ones that, you know, at the end of the day, plus throw in Anthony Bregalia, who didn't travel, but he was one of the key slides promoters. There's a very small group of people that can be easily identified who were responsible for promoting these things. And, you know, within a couple of days after that, thanks to, you know, not good work by me, I'm just the PR guy, but thanks to good work by our friends in France, frankly, uh, Nab Latour and uh, Gilles Fernandez, Jose uh, Caravaca, who had, an, a, you know, a contact somewhere that gave him a copy of the slides and then do eventually gave us a, a cop, you know, put up a copy that we could replicate the results with. Tim Printy and Lance Moody went and replicated the results and put videos, made videos available that I could put up that would show anyone how to do it. I mean, within a matter of two or three days, it's like, this is done. This is over. Um, and here's how you can prove it yourself sitting in your own living room in front of your laptop. Okay. Two I mean, one, uh, uh, one of the listeners asked if uh, you, Paul, had talked to uh, Stan Friedman before he made his announcement that he wasn't going. No. In fact, I heard about Stan, not people, somebody, I think it was Don Schmidt had actually indicated after Stan said he wasn't going to go that Stan had been gotten to my, my terms, but that was the gist of it by somebody on our team. Now there's only one person that, you know, everybody would look to me cause we're related. I I think I read it on Frank Warren's website. And then when I, I found out, I, I sent Stan a note and said, is this true? And he came back and he said, yeah, I'm not going. And I said, could you confirm yet again why you're not going? And he sent me another email, and, and that was it. And I put a post about it, and I published his email because he said I could. And, uh, and that was the end of it. But no, I, I didn't talk to him beforehand at all. And I, for the record, I have also not called Edgar Mitchell. Lance knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, and Edgar Mitchell, Mitchell, I thought they said was going to show up there, but he showed up by, like, video feed or something? Uh, well, that's true. Uh, in fact, We're going to have uh, to ask Red Pill here. Go ahead. Oh, one of the one of the things is uh, uh, you know other than the slides not being there, uh, Edgar Mitchell did not appear in person, uh, and the person that was supposed to introduce him, who you know I could skip, but uh, uh, Dr. Carol Rosen, uh, she was supposed to be there. So those those were prominently listed, and if you paid if you paid to see them, then I didn't think you got your money's worth. But that's <laughs> not the most serious problem in this. But I I, I want to yeah. mention before we get too much on the uh, the slides and and the placard. The earliest investigation was in that, that, that uh, the blurry leak that uh, Lance was talking about. We had this image and said, well, what is this and what does it show? And there's the body, but it's also the surroundings. It, uh, there's, no, there's no military gear of any sort. And, and looking at it, some of the, deal, the details are clear, others are not. But it's clearly a glass display case. And in the, uh, the analysis of the slides promoters, they said this appeared to be something uh, hastily constructed, uh, looked like it was made out of an erector set material, um, and uh, it was uh, an army blanket that the body was li- lying on. And uh, I forget what, the, what some other, uh, other deal, uh, but it was like it was a, a scenario where it was in a set in tent. Well, there's a uh, this this placard that seems to be identifying it that they said was handwritten, um, and even even in the poor copy that we had, it was apparent that there were some other objects beyond the body, and we couldn't tell what they were. But it looked like they also had some type of a label, and it made no sense for their the military or the scientific examination. 
it just you know if you had an alien Roswell body. Uh, one of our uh, members uh, who goes by the name of Trained Observer, he, he said early on, he said, if you have this precious uh, biological examina- uh, example uh, of alien life, you know, even in, even in mid-1940s, they knew enough that they would contain that and, you know, that every cell of it would be precious to examine. And they wouldn't leave it out in the open, you know. Uh, so there was just every, – every time where you – Listen to the story, what they said about the images, what about the people involved. There was like a disconnect of logic. Yeah, they, their, yeah. Uh, their sort of story there was that they surmised that this Hilda uh, Blair Ray had been highly connected in some way. And that allowed her to get close to, t- for, to somehow take a picture of uh, the alien uh, body. And they, they made claims that were so dumb that that you just you had to just wonder you know what is going on because one of the things they said was they said we've and this was said just by their their most uh, their their loudest promoter uh, said that we've we've definitely determined that this was taken in 1947 and it's like well how do you determine when a photo is when a photograph is taken you might you might possibly be able to determine when it was processed but how can you how can you determine when it was taken you can so determine they're, they're, when the film was manufactured i think that's about all you can do well you know they got into this thing where we knew they had an expert and somehow the name of one of the experts was uh mentioned somewhere on on online and i saw that and i called the guy and i spoke with him and he told me you know he said you cannot tell precisely when uh when the film was even manufactured, you you can't tell it precisely. We we did use a coding system, but you can't rely on that. Oh, okay. Well, because they fa- repeated I, it I every ten years, I think. Well, even that is unclear. None of oh, that. Okay. He I never said he never said that. All right. And and then I later found out that he was he was their man, and I found out that he was under a non-disclosure from them. So maybe he was just telling me because he did tell me he didn't know anything about the slide, but I know now that he probably did. So I sent him an email and I said, you know, I know you may be under NDA, but can you tell me is it was what you told me accurate? And he wrote me back and said, you cannot accurately tell uh, when film was manufactured, something along those lines. Now, I shared that with everybody. I shared it with the guys on the uh, team. I shared it with uh, Tony. I shared it with any anybody who asked me about it. I, I, I let them know. Uh, and but they never changed the narrative. They still pretended that they knew that the slide had been taken in 1947, and they needed to be 1947 because they want to somehow connect it to Roswell, yeah. which is so sad. How how uh, pathetic their attempt to do so was. It it gets even worse because you can you would find little things that everybody brings a different skill set to a certain thing. Like you know, Lance is a is a film editor. Uh, so he brings a certain skill set. I mean, we all have different skill sets and myriad skill sets, but I, I was trained as an historian when I was a kid. As soon as somebody sticks into the narrative that, you know, they were close friends with Dwight Eisenhower, which was unproven, but even assuming that they were, and somehow Ike would have allowed them in to view the alien body and take, getting even worse, pictures of it, any historian. And there was there was a historian sitting, standing and sitting on the stage in Mexico City. So I'm directing this at him. Any historian would immediately <laughs> know that the guy who oversaw the invasion of Normandy with 
the kind of secrecy that left the Germans wondering where the Allies were going to land and when, was not the kind of guy that would invite a golfing buddy, or even his brother for that matter, in to see the biggest secret, two points higher than the H-bomb, remember, of all time. So when you would see pieces of the narrative, you would, you would be able to look at the film and you would say, look, this doesn't make sense, the photo doesn't make sense, you'd hear parts of the story and somebody else might chime in, that's ridiculous. Like I, and, and it all, it was a house of cards just waiting to be um, pulled apart, and they couldn't see it. And I think they believe, you know, the ultimate thing is whether they're frauds or whether they're believers who are just naive, who knows. But it's their lack of faith in the intelligence of your average person that they thought that people would actually go with this, even within ufology. So this house of cards was waiting to be pulled down. And as soon as the images became available after May 5th, it didn't take very long. And, you know, Lance is the best one, I think, here to describe that process of how they went about Deep it. Let's. let's I, I want to talk about some of the other work that we've done because you know in, in, we'll keep that part in suspense. The first thing that we, we really tried to do was identify the mummy. We said, okay, do mummies look like this? And we found, well, this looks this looks like this. It's characteristic, you know. Is uh, it's got this? Uh, it looks like the rib cage is sunken, you know, and, and it, it looks like a shriveled, desiccated, mummified body. And we said, okay, well, can we match that? And we found a, a very good match. It's, um, um, it was originally in the Wistar Museum. Uh, it was called Specimen 2397, moved in 1958 to the Smithsonian Institute. And Dr. David Hunt, who is still in charge of it, he did an extensive scan of it. Uh, sometime in the well, last decade or so, and, and so we had, uh, you know, a, I don't know what it was that was CT or MRI. So basically, we had a view of it inside and out, the skeletal structure, and it was um, the thing that it really didn't seem to match was the head. And but it, the, they said the alien's head was detached, this mummy's head was detached. So it was possible that the angle of the photograph and the you know the photograph itself is somewhat blurred from uh, motion. So we couldn't be certain of that. But there were so many compelling similarities uh, to the position of the body, the 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 chest cavity. Uh, in, in fact, up until. Up until after we saw the actual images, some of our members were convinced it was a 100% match. Uh, I mean, it was that close. And what we learned from that is it was not an alien body. You could compare, you could compare, uh, and we had, like I said, we had the skeletal scan, uh, you know, and there's, there's the, there's the thigh that matches the, the you know, the, the, everything matched but the skull. Uh, and, then we took, well, okay, we got this close. Well, let's look at some child skeletons. So, well, there's some of those that are photographed in museums. And we you know, compared that. And, and, and relatively late in the game, uh, Tim Hebert joined. And he, he, uh, earlier Tim Prenny had done some, some comparisons. Um, we got Tim to check and he said, yeah, this is, this is a body, uh, what's in the mummy that, you know, this, the crappy image we had, you can tell this is a child's body. And we don't know where it is, where it came from, but the dimensions all match. And that was, that was a certainty almost from the beginning. And, all, and what we thought we had to do was find that particular mummy. And we continued to do that up until May 7th, something like that. Okay, I'm done with yeah, that. Everybody, yeah, everybody was looking so carefully. And I remember that uh, Isaac Coy, if that's the proper way to say his name, uh, he did some really Probably. great work in collecting – 
documents related to mummies and so forth, photographs that we looked at. And uh, he's, he's, re- he's really a treasure uh, in the whole field of uh, – if you're interested in UFOs at all because he, he's also uh, separately collected so many documents and curated so many documents related to the whole history of, of the subject that he's he he really is a treasure. He's one of the one of the the, the greatest assets of, of the whole field. And um, uh, so so are we telling this? Uh, you know, I can't tell Greg if we're if we're kind of laying this out properly or if we're jumping well, all around. Yeah, I don't know if you are. I was kind of thinking maybe we can bring uh, Red Pill in and he can describe what he saw at the. Uh, 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 the actual presentation because he paid for it and he was actually there. Uh, do you want sure. Do you want to call him now or do you want to talk to him a little bit after this? Because I can get him on the line now. Sure, go for it. Okay. Let's see. Let's see if he pops in here. Well, while we're waiting for him, you know, one of the things I want to say is, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier about the international uh, group. Yeah, he's on here. Hello. Go go ahead, Kurt. I just wanted to say, um, you know, some people said, "Oh, it's a bunch of uh, a, a rabid debunkers." Uh, no, it's a group of friends with a diverse uh, set of uh, beliefs and interests. All of them have a you know, serious interest in UFOs, one way or the other. Some of them do lean, are definitely skeptical. I think, you know, I think Lance will uh, freely admit that. And uh, yeah, and, and our friend uh, uh, Stephen Miles Lewis, I think he calls himself an anomalist or more of a Fordian. Yeah. and uh, you know, there was there was a spectrum of beliefs, you know, and and so um, you know, I I think. Um, it, it skewed skeptical, but, you know, it was, uh, I don't know. We could probably find a better scientific team, but it was a great, te- a great team of friends. That's how we got started. Yeah. I, some yes. of the people on the team, actually, I u- used to kind of turn me off and frighten me a little bit. And when I realized what their thinking process was and what they were trying to do, I looked past that. And it's like, look, this is something that's important. And no matter what you think of these people's opinions about UFOs or ufology or anything what they've done is important and what they've done makes sense and it makes sense to a majority of people so <laughs> why why be scared of uh, of something that gets at the truth like that because we need more of that meanwhile uh red pill has come on and uh are you there buenas noches hey hello 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 you know this is uh, actually the first time i've talked to greg before it's uh, it's nice meeting all of you and, and to hear your voice uh so uh red pill is that what we're calling you today yes yeah sure okay we um so we want um we want the perspective from mexico we want to know how this was advertised how this was pitched and how the civilians there you know how they reacted and the excitement beforehand well, how was, was how it, how it was pitched? I think you know already. You know, Mao San claimed that this was going to be the event that will change the course of history, right? And after the first image was leaked on the internet, I think he definitely was not pleased about it, and he uh, decided to do some kind of. Uh, 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 management, you know, trying to, 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 to fix the problem by engaging in a very dramatic and very aggressive uh, advertising campaign. I listened to him on several radio interviews that he gave uh, 
uh, promoting the event, you know, how tell, telling the, the, that the, the images was the, were definitely not of a mommy, right? That and these were all on that. these were all in Mexico on on Mexican uh, media, right? Well, not not all of them because oh, okay. I also listened to uh, one interview that uh, he gave to a, a radio program from Argentina. Oh, okay. And Italy? that was that was particularly interesting because in that one in that uh, interview he debated uh, your friend Jose Caravaca. Wow. Yes. Managed to 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 really make him completely lose his temper. You know, the poor radio host trying to calm Mausan down and say, "Señor Mausan, please calm down." You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and Mausan, you know, completely losing his temper and saying, you know, about the grotesque image that the skeptics had managed to, to, to up- obtain and he also even accused uh, the skeptics, uh, I think that, that's you guys, <laughs> of altering and tampering the image he said that the image th- that you has, guys had looked like Tweety from the, like the Warner <laughs> Brothers and all that <laughs> yeah and that he was going to pr- he, he was complaining and saying how come the skeptics are attacking us even before they give us the chance to, to show the evidence, you know that was like his main, his main gripe, you know his main peeve, and he said that that, that when Caravaca mentioned to him that even the Adam Dew himself wasn't really 100% sure that the body shown in the slides were not of uh, some kind of mummy, you know he again lost his temper and said, you know Adam Dew's Opinion is irrelevant. What's, what's relevant is the opinion of the experts. The forensic experts are, are going to present the evidence, are going to point out to the 43 abnormalities in the body that show without a shred of a doubt that it doesn't belong to a, a mummy or even a human being. How much, did, how much were tickets to this thing? The, 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 the uh, prices uh, ranged... Uh, widely, you know, between you know the the, the most expe- expensive ones were like uh, thirteen hundred pesos, like that, that's like eighty six dollars. Uh-huh. You know, after that ninety 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 nine hundred and fifty pesos, sixty three dollars. The ones uh, I bought were on the balcony. That were about fifty dollars, and from then the others in the galleys, you know, from thirty and, and twenty dollars. How many people do you think were there? It was a ten thousand seat auditorium, but how, how yeah, full that's was right. it? It was uh, not entri- entirely full, but almost. You know, I, I think it's fair to say that between sixty five hundred and seven thousand people were present at the live event. Wow. Mm. That's all. And how did they res- how did they respond to the presentation? Well, I'm sorry to say that the reaction was overall very very positive. I mean, people cheered, people clapped, you know. Yeah. Uh, oh, I mean, and, and uh, yeah. a, a particular question. The uh, one of the things that was really um it was supposed to be so exciting was that we were going to see a um the uh, the alien come to life with uh, a hologram. Did, mm-hmm. and, and uh, now we, you know, our, our presentation was on a flat screen, and we didn't get the experience. What did what did it look like? From the angle in which I was seeing the, the presentation, like I said, I wasn't at the balcony, so I was seeing it from a, a, one of the corners of the hall. 
So from that perspective, the alleged holographic effect was completely lost, you know? <laughs> I guess w what I was expecting was something, something like, like the alien, you know, joining Tupac and all of them, you know, <laughs> making a concert and starting to ch sing, you know? I, and, and, and Jaime Maussan, you know, dancing with them. But <laughs> it was just like the, the alien moving around, kind of like seeing the audience and trying to take a few steps and all that. Not even a decent animation uh, uh, walking cycle, you know? And in my opinion, it was uh, uh, kind of like the lowest point in the presentation. I, I think it took too long. I think with 30 seconds or more, it, will, it would have been enough. But it took like I mean, maybe more than two minutes, you know. At what point? Yeah. I mean, it, it was almost midnight when that happened. I, I think I was particularly tired. I was like ready to move on, right? Were you surprised at how long they took to actually get to revealing the slides? Because when we were watching yeah. the thing, we could not believe how long they waited. It was like, oh, my God, it's two hours now. When are we going to get to the, to the meat of the thing? Yeah, I didn't expect the whole event to last that long. You know, in retrospect, I suppose that if they had just you know shown the image and, and then move along and maybe – the whole thing had lasted like less than 45 minutes, it will have even bothered me most, more, right, than, than yeah. the fact that it took so long, you know. It would have been, I felt, I would have felt that it, uh, it was more of a rip-off, you know. At, at least like, like this, I felt like, like, like I, I got more <laughs> bang for my buck, right. But I didn't really feel that they were dragging the whole thing, you know, three hours, like you said, and, and they still didn't show it. On the one hand, I tried to rationalize it by saying, okay, so maybe they really need to put all the people in the audience up to speed, you know, with a general overview of the Roswell case because – Presumably, uh, the, the Mexican audience wouldn't be as knowledgeable about the, all the characteristics of the case, you know, who, who Mac Brassel was, who Jesse Marcel was, right. and all that, you know, as the people in the United States. So, on the one hand, I kind of think, thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe there is a point to all of this, but some, some aspects of the presentation, like, you know, bringing someone like James J. Hurtak. <laughs> you know, to, to, to give the very, a very, you know, dramatic speech like, brothers and sisters, take your position yeah. and, you know, claim your <laughs> future and all that for a, a future in peace in space and all that. And like, okay. And then and, and a lot of rain and a lot of rainbows, too. <laughs> yeah. And then Mr. Paul Hellier, you know, the former prime minister of Canada. Uh, sorry, former former minister of defense of Canada. Yeah. Yes. Not yeah. true. Not prime minister. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> it's bad enough we let him run our military. We didn't let him run the country. <laughs> and then when, when they finally got around to showing the image, they did it with yeah. – Zero art, you know. They they sort of stuck it up there real quick, and then they slid it back and forth a couple of times, and then mm. done. <laughs> and it was, and we our our jaws were on the ground. We we couldn't believe that this was the presentation, you know, because we first off we immediately knew 
that this is the same – you know, there's not really much more in this image that we couldn't already see, not – at least uh, in this initial look at it. It was later on that we saw details that, yeah, OK, well, we, I guess we'll talk about those in a moment. But there, we started to see other details. But it was so – you know, I was looking forward to seeing – uh, some sort, something that made me think alien, and 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 that was what I asked several of the people who saw the thing, like Larry, uh, Larry L, who saw it, uh, and and he he's never out. really answered. Yeah, he, he he never answered why he why because he, he was one of the early people who gave a description of the thing. He never gave any indication that he thought it looked more human than alien. He tried to keep the ooga booga going, you know, and uh, and 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 I feel like that those kinds of people also were complicit in promoting this thing, in, in helping promote it. And then when Tim Prenty did some measurements of the slide that we had, Larry was right in there with his anti-opinion of what uh, Tim had done. But never did I see him write anything negative about the slides. And uh, so it was amazing to me just how we were surprised at how terrible it was presented, you know, that it didn't – we were like, what? That That's it? Yeah. So Red Pill, it, did, it didn't really convince you either? Or you, you said most of the audience kind of enjoyed it, but you – you felt like it was there. There wasn't really enough uh, analysis of the actual slide. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, uh, I mean, if he had just shown the slides, you know, like that, and say, okay, see, these are the slides. Yeah, more than one. Sorry. I, yeah, I wouldn't have given it uh, much thought. You know, I would have been. I would have just, you know, con- convincing, convinced myself. Okay, this that's just a mummy. I don't know. I don't care what Mausan says. But then. He presented these uh, forensic experts, you know, beginning with the guy, what's his name? <laughs> Jose de Jesus Alcebenites, uh-huh. and then Richard Doble, who is the only uh, expert who spoke in English, and then Dr. Luis de Antonio, Antonio de Alba Galindo, and then... I mean, the first one, Salse, was the, the one that who, who really, really gave me some pause, you know. I mean, he sounded proficient enough, uh, enough pro, uh, professional enough, you know, giving all this uh, 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 technical jargon, explaining, according to him, point by point, why uh, the body in the slides didn't really correspond with any of the... the um, Genetic syndromes, you know, re- recognized by the World Health Association organization, and all these kinds of mal- malformations that could explain it. You know, according to him, you know, n- neither of those uh, explanations d- didn't really fit to explain all the alleged uh, an- ab- abnormalities that yeah. he observed in, in, in the slide. Uh, you know, part of the reason that you suffered is because of what the uh, challengers did. Jose confronting uh, a Masson, uh, and the, uh, they reacted. And one of the things we know is from their original presentation, they added a lot of speakers. And one of them was um, mm. one of them was they tried to recruit Stanton Friedman. Uh, they recruited yeah. uh, uh, Richard Dolan, and uh, they padded the program. and And you mentioned Hertag; he was a very um, last minute addition. I think they wanted mm. to get some people with PhD. And you mentioned uh, 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 Dobble. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce his name. We uh, tracked some information on him. He went to the University of uh, uh, Toronto. 
and he was a classmate of Thomas Carey. So, you know, I've it's an old yeah, school. Yeah, I think I read that in in, in I think in Gilles Fernandez's website or, or, or somewhere right. or somewhere else. Yeah, and, and, and he was the, and he was the one who said that uh, he was the one who said that the he could tell just by looking at the slide that the being in the slide had evolved as a reptile, like a gecko, right? Yeah. Uh, who can listen to that? And, and now, especially knowing what we know now, how do, how do we ever listen to when someone presents someone as an expert and say, oh, okay, yeah, that's an expert. Let's listen to, the, let's listen to what he has to say. Oh, you know, that's a very good point. We have all, the, all the, the material from three years, all the promises were made about it, the experts that they presented – and we know what they have, and we can compare what we, you know. There, I mean, there's, there's a, it's, it's all out in the open now. Uh, you, you, you cannot, you cannot reasonably believe every one of these people was so severely mistaken. It is there has to be, I, there is, the level of ineptitude is incredible. There's no way to believe that's all a mistake. Red Pill. It's uh, Paul Kimball here. Let me um, first of all hey, thank you for the review. Thank you for the review of my book a couple of years ago. That was I just wanted to get that on the record. And oh, um, uh, I wanted to ask you because you were there, mm. and we, if you were watching it live, most of the attention would be on the stage, whether the speakers or the images, and only fleetingly would you get glimpses of everybody else who was kind of on the stage but not speaking. What were the reactions? of, in particular, Richard Dolan, who was one of these last-minute additions, as well, he sort of, as he saw everything kind of unfold. Did you sort of clock that, take notice of that? Sure. And, and also let me point out to you guys that I didn't attend uh, the event alone. I asked one of my cousins, my cousin Fernando, who was also had had a lifelong interest in UFOs. You know, I asked him to join me, and I did it for two reasons: one, because I didn't want to go alone. You know, especially <laughs> re- uh, return alone at such uh, uh, late hour of the night. You know, Mexico City being what it is. Yeah. And the second is because I wanted to have the opinion of someone who is interested in the topic. You know who is smart, well, as my my cousin is, and who wouldn't be uh, contaminated, uh, let's just say, with all the uh, 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 innuendo and all the controversy which was al- uh, were already surrounding the slides on the internet. You know, I knew that my my cousin wasn't aware uh, that the, that the slides had already been leaked. You know, so I wanted, I, and I didn't even want to mention that to him. You know, I wanted to see his uh, uh, unfiltered reaction to the whole thing. And let me just point out that when uh, the whole thing ended, and we were, and you know, going back to 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 where his car uh, was because he was going to give me a, a lift back home, and I, I asked him, you know, what do you think of it? Were you convinced? Uh, 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 about it, and he said that he he found out found everything to be very interesting, and he was particularly impressed by the words of uh, of, of Dolan. You know, he also, like Dolan, wished, hoped that the slides will have the some kind of uh, quote unquote ripple effect that will manage to 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 get like the ball rolling and start to to erode at the wall of silence that. 
Dolan thinks is uh, concealing the secrets you know, of UFOs and moving towards the post-disclosure society that, that he ambitions, right? So for what I can say, you know, my, my, my cousin uh, was impressed by Richard Dolan, and I suppose that most of people were also impressed, you know, the fact that most of them decided to stay and listen to him, you know, after five hours when uh, they could have just, you know, uh, stood up and walked, you know, after after all, you know, the, the, the big presentation was already over. They had already seen the slides. There was no real, no real reason for them to linger and, and listen to, to, to Dolan, but most of them did. Yes. What? But it, Go ahead. How did he? How did he look when he was on stage? Because of all the people, he was the, sort of the last one invited. But he also had to sit there for three or four hours, right, with nothing to do other than listen to all of this stuff. So, were you able to sort of judge his reactions to what he was seeing? Because he, you know, he came out. He's coming out now and and saying, "Well, I never really believed it was aliens. I just went down to see what was going to happen," which is not what he was saying before he went down there. Um, I'm just curious as to how, what his body language was like. Did you observe anything, any impressions about what Dolan was thinking or how he was reacting to the presentation as it went along? Yeah, I was kind of surprised that, uh, I don't know whose idea was it to, to, to ask the pres- uh, presenters to stay all the time on stage, you know, instead of, you know, showing one by one and let them have like a cigarette break or a bathroom break. (laughs) So I don't know. I mean, Greg Newkirk, you know, is a, is a, is a buddy of mine. He runs the web website who forced right? He was the ones who, who, the first ones who started to write about the, the, the slides and his impression. He, he watched the whole thing uh, uh, with the live streaming and he said that he felt that uh, uh, Dolan looked embarrassed, right? Like Dolan uh, looked like he really was uncomfortable being there and, and, and speaking after seeing the slides. But then I wrote a comment on his website and I said, well, who knows, right? Because you said he looked uh, embarrassed. Maybe he was the man, maybe he was just tired, you know? Maybe <laughs> tired yeah. after yeah. five goddamn hours sitting in a goddamn chair, you know? You know, maybe maybe the man was just, you know, who knows how early he got up that day. So it's difficult to, to ascertain, but I, I can say that he, most of the time he remained completely still, listening to, to the persons who were speaking, you know, next to him, never turning his head, you know, just listening with with uh, his eyes closed you know absorbing it all you know n- not really moving from his seat so he wasn't sleeping was he no <laughs> i don't think so so who knows right uh, and one uh, let me also point out that um, i think it was thursday i got to talk with uh, gene steinberg and and Chris O'Brien, you know, they wanted to interview me for the podcast. Yeah. And Gene managed to have Richard Dolan for a, uh, a few minutes. Yeah, how did that go? Well, it was interesting, you know. I mean, uh, well, Richard was... This is before, this is before the, new, the, the big news hit. Yeah. This is before yeah. our research yeah. hit. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it was, this was before the big reveal that the... 
placard was al had already been deciphered. So, you know, Richard uh, kept saying that he felt that uh, the, the forensic uh, analysis was still compelling and, and that he had asked Maussan and the other organizers that they needed to release uh, high-resolution uh, uh, versions of the slides and along with the forensic report as soon as possible. So in order for people to start, you know, start the, the discussion instead of, you know, what he complained were just uh, uh, att uh, attacks on, uh, on how the, the whole thing went down, right? And one of the things that I asked him was whether he had actually managed to uh, converse with Salsi and the other you know, the other uh, experts uh, privately during his stay in Mexico. And he, he said that he did, but because of the language barrier, apparently these guys really didn't speak English so well. You know, the, 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 the conversation was a bit limited, but uh, nonetheless, he was still impressed with, especially with Salsa. You know, he felt he... He really felt that he was honest, you know, he was objective. And I must say, like I said before, of the three experts that Maussan presented, that guy was the one who kind of gave me a bit of pause, right? I mean, that, that one, I feel that by now the whole thing rests on his, on his shoulders, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I have a question. They referred not once to what was on the card, except for it said it was illegible. I saw one slide. I think uh, Adam Go rightly posted it from the uh, pr presentation where it said illegible uh, card, and that's all they ever said about it, right? Oh, well, boy. yeah. But the thing is that there there are two slides, you know, and I think right. that most of the the, the the analysis they allegedly made were on the first one, the one that was taken with flash. On, I mean, I really, uh, for a moment, I felt that they weren't really going to show the second one, the second slide. And I was even tweeting, you know, what happened to the second slide? Where is the second slide? Right. And, you know, by the very end of it, Maussan said, okay, so we promised that there were, there were two slides. We're going to show you the second slide. It's the same as the first, but this one is much darker because it was taken without a flash. So they showed the image, and then it was kind of a funny moment, but then, because Maussan looked kind of surprised, and he even said on stage, you know, now that I'm looking at it for the first time, instead of uh, watching it uh, from a computer monitor, I'm seeing that the image was, is in, indeed much clear, clearer than I, uh, I originally thought. So I think that, like, the whole thing is... My opinion is if they hadn't found a way not to show the second slide, this whole thing that you are talking about, you know, how everything crumbles so rapidly, would have in, indeed, you know, stalled and maybe lingered for, for a bit longer, right? Because the, the second slide was really the cipher by, by which you, managed, you guys managed to crack the whole mystery surrounding the illegible uh, illegible placard. Yeah, and I, I think at this point maybe we can ask uh, Lance to uh, discuss how the, you know, how they came to uh, 
get the image, what they saw in the image, and what was done to the image with the software and what software was used and um, how that was released to everybody so that anybody could replicate it. Well, I should say that I had I really had nothing to do with the actual deblurring of the software. One of our one of the team members right, whose okay. name that he goes by is uh, Nablator is the way I'm going to pronounce it. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's the correct way to pronounce it. He did the he did the work. He got a copy of of uh the placard that was in pretty good shape. It was blurry, but it still was in pretty good shape. I do not know how that happened in the and uh, but he, he got that. So I came on to the group on Facebook, as as I would do from time to time, and I saw this thing posted, and I looked at it for a little while, and I, I saw, well, Jesus, I can read that whole top line. So immediately I said, well, you know, are it's you guys fooling? Yeah, are you guys <laughs> fooling around? Is this is this real? Or because believe me, we did a lot of everyone did these crazy. Uh, drawings making fun of these guys and just for our own amusement we would put up things all the time and I didn't know if this was real or not real I, and I uh, thought maybe yeah. somebody had just I thought somebody had just mocked it up Friday and, morning and, uh, as, as people woke up and, and came on and just saw the post and said are you guys screwing around and, and it was like it was unbelievable it was it unbelievable was yeah, it, it surprised so me when I saw it. That's when I kind of changed my mind and said, maybe this isn't as, as ridiculous and not uh, uh, as significant as I thought. Because yeah, if this is yeah. a true and you know faithful representation of what was, was shown and everybody agrees it is, there's no real argument. But I'm yeah, sorry. And, and Go and ahead. We, so we started looking at it, and we, then we started – everyone would try to just see if we could decipher other words, and then we also tried to replicate the results. And I explained it in that video, but the, the sort of uh, – the way that software works is it wants to know how, you know how the blur happened when the camera actually took the image. So it's kind of cool because what you're actually coming up with – is you're coming up with the motion that happened right on that day, whenever it was, if it was Hilda Blair Ray when she, when she snapped the shot, the way that her camera moved is what that that sort of right. there was no flash, so there was model like that. is yeah. modeling. Yeah, and, and uh, so we we would all and that you have to do by hand. You have to kind of look at the blur that it gets on its own, the blur model that it gets on its own, and then you try to figure out. You know what of this is probably not real. What of this is clutter? And then you try to clean it up. And Nablator was really good at that. He he came up with some really nice blur models. And then slowly I learned how to do it. And I came up with some decent ones, not as good as his, but some decent ones that that could do the same thing. And Tim did the same. Tim Printy did that as well. And we we knew we had something at that time. So then that night, so we're all doing this. So we've got this image that. We don't hey, really hey Lance, what's the we don't software? Have, really have provenance on, right? Yeah, Lance, what is that software? Is that a, a freely it's available? Called, it's called Smart Deep Smart Deep Blur. Right. And we were using version two point three. So that that night, you know, this whole thing goes on all day and it was so much fun. And and I hope we can talk about later about just the way this group worked and, and how yeah. it how it seems to be sort of a model of, of if you want to find out facts about these kinds of things really fast. It was really, really fun. Yeah, crowdsource it. Uh, but the 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 thing is, is that uh, 
Paul came in and he really sort of chastised us all because we didn't really have provenance on this image. We had the image. We were pretty sure it was the you know that it was the same thing that they were uh, promoting as the slide, but we weren't sure if it was really the slide, you know. And so we we're all we we're sort of all getting panicky, and uh, and uh, I went in and I, I took some of the images that they had released because uh, Richard Dolan released an image of the slide to uh, coast to coast, as I recall. Right. Of the and other slide. And then yeah yeah, and we were so we were able to sort of try to match that up and see if it, it all uh, if the the text the sort of blurry text matched the blurry text on the images that we knew were real. And then well, miraculously, uh, that Adam Dew guy put up the actual placard on his site. So that really saved us because we, we, we didn't really have anything that we could absolutely say was, you know, that we could lock in on this is what they're showing yeah, us. The say slide. This, this is from the, the source. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah. And it's, it's important to note that he put it up at the same time as he said, we had faked. The results we had photoshopped it and we had faked yeah. our version of the slide. And he said, "Look, I'll prove it to you. I'll put the drum scan of the actual slide up online." To which we all went, "Well, thank you very much," <laughs> because yeah, now it, you know it now was that the final drum scan. Yeah, go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. I was just going to say it was it was sort of the final self destructive step that they took on their journey to having it all fall apart because at every step, if he hadn't done that, it would have made th- – we, we were having internal debates about what we could release and what we could say. Tim Hebert or Herbert, Herbert – um, <laughs> that sounds like – sorry, I sound like Ernie there for a second. Tim, <laughs> who's – whatever, however you pronounce his last name, um, you know, and I and, and Chris Rakowski, I think we're chiming in too, had some concerns about the provenance. And then Adam Dew just made it easy for us because now if we can replicate with this slide that he's provided, we're done. And that took all of what, 10 minutes? Yeah, so, bravo for, minutes. so bravo for well, Adam his slide, Dew. His slide was – unfortunately, it was not as good as the other one we were using. It was, it was – somebody had done some manipulation of it to make it not not anything nefarious necessarily but they they increase the contrast yeah they're probably just trying to make it look good for their presentation yeah and and, and it had possibly had some sharpening done to it and that might have killed some of our data for the blurring but nonetheless nab was really quick on getting the and my memory is that it took longer a longer amount of time for us to uh, maybe the next day because those guys in europe were all asleep so we went right. to sleep. We went to sleep oh, that yeah. night. We went to sleep Kurt that night, did. and we knew that we had the right. Um, you know, we had. We knew that we were locked in on their real thing, but we couldn't demonstrate it that well until the next morning. And people my were screaming. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It, uh, w- one of our images leaked out, and uh, I made the decision, perhaps wrongly, to go ahead and publish our material before you know these accusations and spins. And uh, you know it was tough. You know everyone was gone to bed, and so I slapped something to get and, get, and got it on. And uh, but then the, the question, you know, they said, "Where the hell did you get this?" And uh, we said, "Well, it, it's real, but." You know, then we were in a rather tough spot. But, you know, then, you know, it, as Paul said, Adam Dew came to our rescue. Thank you, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bra- even bravo he, for even his openness. Even as he was saying we were liars, hoaxers, and fakers, he came to our rescue. The, the irony was not lost on any of us, believe me. And, and I want to say that software, if I, had, if I had opened the image up and just done the de-blur uh, and just let it do its own thing and not really understood how the software worked – 
I probably would have given up too. And I think David Rudiak, for instance, said that that's essentially what he did. He got the he got the stuff a long time ago, and he couldn't make heads or tails of it either. But uh, because NAB had gotten such good results, I knew it was possible to do it. So I didn't just quit the program like I would have if I had done it on my own. I stuck to it, and then finally you could see, okay, so this is how it works. This is how you get results from it. And uh, so that that was all. That was just you know all in that you, one afternoon. It was so much. Yeah, fun. you were, you were sweating, and uh, and and Prenti was sweating, and you know NAB. I mean, it was it was really a frenzy because we you know we were under a lot of pressure. It's like hey, you know this is kind of <laughs> like a, this is like a Apollo thirteen or something. <laughs> you know, st- struggling with this technical problem, and you know I was left out. I have no facility with this at all, and I was trying I was trying to clean up our documents and stuff like that, and you know organize some things, and I it was a mess. But but things you know you could see that we had we had it. We had it. You know, how do we put it together where we can show people? And then, uh, then we started talking about a video demonstrating the step. And then, you know, then you know, of course, that's something else I couldn't do or explain. But you know, I know if you have the video, people will see it. And uh, you know, so then we started talking about, okay, we've got it. How do you, you know, how do you teach people? You know, to do this, you know, and so we brought in and, and a few other people seeing our, our early work. They uh, there were some independent attempts and they were getting something. So, you know, it wasn't you know, this wasn't some fantasy. This wasn't like uh, a matter. Oh, actually, before there, there were two things before the uh, the the show. First of all, they said the, the, the placard was handwritten in red ink. Uh, that didn't turn out to be true. The other thing was um, they said that they had four. Um, uh, experts, and I don't have their names handy, but David Rudiak was one of them, the National Photographic Interpretation Lab. Oh, I do remember. Uh, Studio Macbeth and uh, Adobe were all uh, had um, been given high-quality copies of the scans uh, uh, and, and now analyzed it and failed to produce anything. However, Tom Carey, in an interview with Nassant ahead of it, he said that, I can tell you now that we uh, some of the words are, um, are legible and uh, uh, debunkers will be disappointed. So he indicated that something was clearly there that was going to show us that this was uh, supporting their Roswell theory. Uh, oh, that's another interesting thing. You know, they always build this as Roswell, and somewhere along the line, they backed off of this, and they said, "Well, you know, this is an alien, and we can't show for sure that it was in Roswell, but the whole narrative originally was Roswell, and these guys were the Roswell investigators, and that was that was a peculiar change in the narrative, and really the advertising too. Um, the uh, the other thing about oh, and then." Uh, so then right before the show, in another interview, uh, Don Schmidt comes on, uh, and he mentions the consultants, and, you know, that they had all looked at this information, but it was beyond the pale, that you, nothing could legibly be read, and that all that could be done was to, uh, you could try to interpret something, but it was uh, the letters, it was, uh, he said, beyond the pale, couldn't be read. And then I think Anthony Bergalia came in with some information that it something to do with a guy involved with UFOs that they could read the name and it had to do with maybe somebody at Wright Patterson. I can't remember the exact narrative, but it was something like that that you could read a name that had something that, that we would have been disappointed in. And Kerry was right; I was disappointed, but I was disappointed in him. <laughs> <laughs> so when you deblur this thing, which people can do for themselves, and uh, replicate very easily. I think 
Paul or somebody or uh, more than one person in the group said it must be something that can is very easily seen or replicated or uh, can be done by just about anybody, and uh, you, you accomplish that. What what does it what what does it actually say? I don't have it handy. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I, you know, I'm going to have to pull this up. Um, I'm really embarrassed to tell you this. Okay. Well, first well, of all, well, we're just talking. Says, I, I can pull it up too. But go ahead. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We'll go ahead and and, and do that. Well, so uh, initially, um, uh, this uh, I'm getting ahead of the story, um, but um, the the thing that you can read most easily is the top line because it's it's written as if it were a headline. It's in all capital letters. Uh, and then there's some other things that are that are more difficult to uh, to pick out. And so we had some some X's, you know, some things that there is placeholders. Yeah. And the the other thing that you can read other than the top line is San Francisco, California, including you can see the comma clearly between the two words. Yeah. Okay. So now, do you have the text? Well, the top line of the I, text. Oh, go ahead. I'm I, sorry. Go I ahead. I do too. Go ahead, Lance. Okay. So. The mummified body of two-year-old boy, that's the thing that we really knew. That just stands out just as clear as day. Yeah, block Particularly, letters. the word mummified is perhaps just slightly less clear than, than the rest. But yeah. body of two-year-old boy is super clear. And San Francisco, California is really clear. We surmise that it says, uh, at the time of burial, the body was clothed in a slip-over cotton shirt. Burial wrappings consisted of... Uh, and we we thought it was these, but it may be three. Burial wrappings consisted of three cotton blankets loaned by Mr. Blank. We weren't sure. Uh, and it, there might be some initials there, San Francisco, California. Right. And so, then yes, that, this, no one believed us. Paola yeah. Harris said it was a fake. Adam Dew said it was a fake. And uh, everyone said that we had photoshopped this, and there were there were uh, there were a number of ac- accusations, and, and people said, well, you know, these guys have, you know, it's like Paul had joked about his uh, uh, the thing on May the fourth, and is this another one of your stunts? Um, is you know, so there was the and, and uh, Anthony Bregalia has, uh, you know, he doesn't believe anyone that that, that that you know doesn't agree with his point of view. So there were all these uh, these accusations, and and of course there's some you know there's some diehard believers. That any anything that uh, that challenges this, this uh, their alien Roswell narrative, and also you know the, the these guys have their fans, their fan base was supporting them. So there was definitely some controversy. So uh, you know, but at this time, um, they, you know, we, we had that, and there's the software. We're starting to share that, and other people are producing the same results, and that's when the tide turned. I got a um, I got a letter from Bregalia. Uh, the night w- after we first released the uh, the uh, the idea that we'd we'd come up with the text, and uh, he said uh, to me, Kurt Collins has photoshop. This is in an email. Kurt Collins has published a Photoshop fake placard. It's a hoax used to discredit the slides, and this is easily provable. Tomorrow, you, your group, and Collins will be exposed for perpetrating this hoax. The placard says this. Pla- the placard says nothing whatsoever about a two-year-old mummy boy. This is entirely made up and has somehow been inserted into the real placard. 
Enhancements, enlargements, and color contrast of the real placard will prove without question that you have either created or you have distributed this hoax to defame me and the team. This scheme will backfire on the anti-sliders group and will prove that you and your group employ tactics to include lies, fakes, and intimidation of witnesses, scientists, and presentation guests to discredit. I realized, wow, you couldn't make a more ridiculous statement that in about eight hours is going to really make you look foolish. And that's exactly what happened. And, you know, now he's even Bergalia, which it's kind of like when Berlin fell at the end of the Second World War. You know, when Berlin falls, you know, you've really won. Well, he was Berlin. And even he has published sort of a, a, a cheesy mea culpa that isn't really a mea culpa, but at least he admits that he was wrong and that we were, you know, this is actually. That was a pretty a good mea culpa to me. I read it. He, he is uh, a good researcher in some ways. I mean, he can he can definitely find documents. And I think what he did was he entered in – once we had found the plain text of the uh, placard, I think he entered it into Google, which I had meant to do. But I was so busy doing so many other things trying to get – be sure we had our, our provenance straight and, and do that video and so forth. He entered that in and he had a hit and found out a match that showed, yes, we actually know where the mummy is, where it came from, you know, what it, we know the whole backstory on it now. And I'm not sure all that – people are still going on and on about that. I don't even think that's important anymore. I mean I, it's Well, it's kind enough. of important because you, you get that text. You can't read it, but you have the San Francisco, California. And what he found, I think that he found, or at least an Italian researcher and also Micah Hanks independently mm-hmm. found – was a note from the National Park Service from 1938, which, yeah. which read, a, and this is the text that's um, relevant, a splendid mummy was, was received by the Park Museum recently when Mr. S.L. Palmer Jr. of San Francisco returned one that its father had taken from the ruins in 1894. The mummy is that of a two-year-old boy and is in an excellent state of preservation. At the time of burial, the body was clad in a slip-over cotton shirt and three small cotton blanket blankets. Fragments of these are still on the body. That, that is from the National Park Service in 1938, September 1938. Look, I didn't realize what happened. Go ahead. I'm sorry. The only thing I, go ahead, Paul. I was just going to say the only thing I'd like to add uh, here is um, that eventually... And by eventually, I mean very quickly would have been found by anyone who was looking for it. Right. Um, I'm a little less charitable towards Bergalia because I don't think he should be given credit for finding something that would have been found very quickly simply because he was the first guy to go look for it after we had already done the heavy lifting. After he had spent right. three years you know, insulting us and being really the lead guy for putting out all of these crazy theories and the narratives that went with them. So he doesn't get any credit for me. He might from somebody else, you know, but not Greg, Greg, have you noticed, Greg, have you noticed that Paul's become a worse skeptic than me, more hardcore? <laughs> it's true. And I, I promised Adam Grow rightly I wouldn't say anything personal about anyone, but that's my one exception. I, I will say I don't think his mea culpa was a mea culpa at all. I think it was something that was forced on him. He, he had no real choice because he had been caught out. And, you know, he didn't apologize to any of us. He didn't say anything other than I'm apologizing to the body of the two-year-old mummy boy, uh, which, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure the two-year-old mummy boy didn't really care about the apology. But those of us that were smeared by Tony might have, you know, appreciated an apology. Didn't come. So no credit from me. That's all I'll say. All I right. just want to say about that statement, though, the one good thing about that was that allowed him to find that text 
and match it. And with his ego, that convinced him it was true. If someone had shown him that, he would have denied it. But that was that was like that's like a movie moment, you know. That had to, that had to have hit him in the gut. It's like, oh, oh. damn. But he, yeah, I guess we can take some small pleasure from that. But I mean, at the end, I've sort of said that he's he's now irrelevant. They're all irrelevant. You know, what's yeah. relevant going forward are the lessons that we can, they don't matter anymore. What matters going forward is what we can take out of this episode in terms of how good research can be done in the internet era in the 21st century, how open sourcing and transparency amongst researchers is a good thing, not a bad thing. This, the secrecy that has fueled ufology for 60 or 70 years based on jealousy and, you know, trade secrets and greed that, that has to be washed away. None of that was present with us. We were just sharing information left, right and center. And that's how you get to the truth. Well, that's the real takeaway about the Roswell slides story. And I think that's something that we can apply going forward to a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah, which well, might make you hope so. This a useful exercise. Well, well you hope right. so. And the, the thing actually, I think Lance actually pointed out that some of that is is uh, is uh, present in the um, the hardcore skeptical community, too, to, to some extent where people don't share information and they they pick and choose what they want to talk about and how they want to present their information. But like Paul said, and um, I've been whining about this for, for years now, um, why don't groups just you know get together, form small groups, and do their own research, and when they're finished with it, share it openly and see if other people can replicate. The, you know, This is kind of in microcosm what, what you guys did in microcosm, as Paul is saying, what can be done. And ne- you know, n- never mind about slapping wrists or yelling at people or whatever. It's like, well, now a lot of people realize what's going on, I hope. And what they will do is maybe be a little bit more careful when they listen to, view, pay for, and um, discuss what's going on with the, in, in the area of UFOs and, and how their beliefs are formed. That, that, that's, a re- that's, a, that's a really important one. Is How does your belief determine what you're going to look at and, and uh, what does it keep you from? What, what kind of information does it keep you from looking at and keep you from accepting? Uh, that, that's my rant. Well, and and I would agree, and I would just say that you know if they had come to us, or if they had made it open, you know, yeah, if, they have, if they really have the secret of the century of all time, make it open, let people know. If it really is a space alien, I think I speak for Lance and Kurt and everybody else and Phil, the ghost of Phil Class. We would be the first ones to say, "Bravo! Okay, this is important, amazing stuff. Our world has changed." If they had done that three years ago, we could have easily shown them that that was not the case. And it would have saved an awful lot of people, an awful lot of time, an awful lot of money. And frankly, it it would have saved them from having their credibility severely damaged to the point of being destroyed in many cases. So those are the kinds of things things you can prevent. Yeah, by having a group like that also, it protects against the thing that they that uh, UFO proponents claim is that uh, skeptics, hardcore guys like me, their, their claim is that I'm a debunker. I, I get that a lot. It, you know, I'm a debunker. If I saw real evidence, I would turn my eyes away. I would hide the evidence. Well, there, there would be no way for me to, to turn my eyes away from the uh, de-blurred image of this thing because everybody was there looking at it at the same time. Right, I couldn't have, and and we had people from all spectrums of of interest in in the UFO topic and, and belief in the UFO topic, and 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 so the mythical debunker couldn't 
couldn't ruin their day by hiding the information. If, if I don't think there's any such person like that. I don't. I don't think Philip Class was like that either. But no. but uh, you, you know, it's it's. I got a, a different uh, opinion of Class than you guys do. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the other thing that kind of got touched on with uh, Red Pill Junkies. Um, uh, 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 talk is how this. He, he's this still online, of, by the way. Oh, oh, great! Yeah, the the uh, the idea of this sort of uh, uh, reverence for just the the veneer of science, and, and and that is really one of the most prominent things in UFO research is this pretend science. You know, I I did a lot of research which nobody cares about about uh, Otis Carr, the uh, the yes. uh, uh, con man from the from the late fifties. Who said that he had the secret to building a flying saucer? There's still people who believe in his supposed ideas, but he would talk in a scientific way, a faux scientific way, and it's it must have it must have affected people, and people must have believed it because they would give him money. Oh, they and gave the him tons of money. Hap- yeah, I, the Sorry. same thing happens with with uh, like for instance, this guy who came on and said that. By looking at the slide, he can tell – this Roswell slide, he can tell that the uh, the body was evolved as a reptile like a gecko. You know, that's – Stop, it's, stop, it's, stop it's, saying that. I, I, I laugh every time I hear that. <laughs> it, it sounds so he's, ridiculous. He's trying to sell you but, insurance. But it, but it has a scientific veneer and there's so many people who were interested in UFOs who just sit back. I know that, for instance, Ray Stanford or somebody like that has these pretend uh, – the same thing with the guys that do the uh, – they, they call UFOs something else. They don't – the UAPs. Uh, what is that group? They write these, these faux scientific papers that are not scientific at all, where, where they're, 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 they're in the form of a scientific paper, but that's not what they are. They're, they're a believer paper that doesn't explore, doesn't try to get to the truth. It tries to get at a predetermined result. Yeah, there isn't and a if falsifiable that's the thing that really hurts yeah, hypothesis. UFOs, if you ask me. Yeah. No, I, yeah, well, we've all seen that for years where a. I spoke to Dean Radin. He said he was tired of people using the uh, scientific terms to explain um, uh, uh, psychic phenomena, where he says he's been doing lab research for years and just starting to get, he was at that point, just starting to get fairly good data that some of this stuff worked. And he said, we've got people going out there saying that they've, they will tell you how to, you know, what's, it, what's that called, psychic or f- f- whatever, flying, where you bounce around a lot and you can fly. And he said, that's messing up all kinds of legitimate research because people will not pay attention to it because most people who are consider themselves to be fairly you know uh, uh, reasonable will not listen to all that stuff and there might be a germ of something interesting in it but because of all the BS surrounding it it just it doesn't get any good minds working on it because the good minds try to try to keep away from it. Right, it's right. it's funny I would say. And Lance, you know, was joking earlier that I've now become more evil skeptic than even him. <laughs> and it's in a weird way. I was always a skeptic, but it was the best evidence film that that really um, changed how I viewed skeptics. Because um, Stan Friedman had sort of made me believe that all skeptics were at least a little evil. And the Phil Class thing, you know, Phil had, Class was both good and bad in equal measure in different ways. But with the best evidence film, those ten cases. Every time I challenged a skeptic, 
to try and explain a case. Uh, in Lance, he and I went back and forth for a couple of years on the Kelly Johnson case. Right. Uh, Tim Printy, I challenged Tim, Tim Printy to try and explain the RB47 case. Yeah. I'm not saying I agree with their explanations or disagree. The important thing was they made a good faith effort, which was a lot more deep than most of the UFO researchers' efforts that I had seen over 10 years, to try and engage and have a dialogue and come up with a reasonable explanation. And right. I was actually, I went, well, these guys, yeah, that's how it should be done, right? I'm on the wrong side. Well, skeptic, <laughs> skeptic is a bad word because people have taken it, they have taken it from the neutral meaning, which is what it should have, mm -hmm. I am skeptical about this, to mean something, debunker too, De what's the difference between skeptic and debunker? Debunker means you're taking the bunk out of something that has bunk in it. And skeptic yeah, means yeah. that you are weighing evidence before make a true skeptic is going to weigh evidence before they make a decision and in some cases maybe they can't make a decision so they reserve judgment that is a skeptical attitude that is not a negative attitude is not a debunking attitude it's not a wrong attitude i think it's exactly proper to be that way and also like i said importantly leave yourself open to the undecided at this time or not enough evidence at this time can can I ask Red Pill Junkie? Is he still yeah. here? Yes, he's yeah, still yeah, here. Um, what's the reaction been like in in Mexico, especially with Mosan, in the last day or two? Has he addressed the work of our group, and um, you know, is, or is he doubling down and plowing ahead? Uh, <laughs> what's what's he sort of up to? What's going on down there? Well, uh, I had a, a brief Twitter exchange with him uh, this afternoon. Ah. You know, I, I, as soon as I learn about the deciphering of the placard, I, I, you know, I, I tweeted him and, and I said, you know, the, the 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 sign has been deciphered, right? And he decided to reply back uh, today, and the, the the Twitter says that uh, the word mummified is not clear. It could say similar to a body of a two-year-old kid. And when I said, okay, you know, whatever, but that even uh, despite the fact is that it's clear that some of the, of the letters can be deciphered, you know, instead of what you guys said, that none of them could. And then he replied back and said, you know, the placard evidence is circumstantial. The real evidence is the body, and it's not a two-year-old kid. That's exactly opposite of what it is. That's like 180 degrees opposite of what the situation is. Amazing. Well, yeah, and then and then I I told him, you know, that you you guys have released the forensic report elaborated by Salse, but uh, it's only in Spanish. So maybe I myself and maybe I don't know if Caravaca has uh, has uh, re read it by now. And said, when are you going, guys going to release it in English? And he said that, yeah, it's unfortunate that they haven't been able to do so, you know, translate the whole thing into English. You know, I wish you w we could have published it, you know, published the translations. Did you so offer to do it for him? <laughs> no. No, okay. <laughs> I told him, you know, right now the English-speaking skeptics are focusing exclusively on... The, the placard yeah. issue. You know, if you really want to change the conversation or change the narrative toward something different, you need really need to 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 
to get that translation as soon as possible. And then she's last reply was, "We are prepared that we are preparing an answer, a detailed answer. Patience." Well, I'd like to see that one. I I, I hope it's. Uh, uh, I I, yeah, I can I, I, can I can't imagine what it would it, be. Yeah. I can also say that I also took the time to watch his uh, Sunday TV program, Tercer Milenio. Yeah. Something I, something I hadn't done in quite a while. And I didn't watch the whole thing, you know, didn't catch the beginning, but was basically a lot of uh, patting in the back, right? Self-congratulation yeah. of, 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 of the historic uh, event they promoted. They managed to, they showed uh, Carrie and Schmidt in what, in what I assume was a pre-recorded interview, something that I, I, I assume was recorded uh, the day after the event. And, you know, Kara said that the skeptics by now are, are, are eating crow, quote. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Once He's again, like that guy in, uh, in uh, Baghdad, the spokesman for uh, Saddam Hussein, who kept claiming that uh, the Iraqi army was uh, making many victories against the U.S. army uh, yeah. right up to the end. <laughs> Even as you can um, see American, you know, Humvees yeah. driving behind him in the in the distance, kind of thing. Yeah. I, ju- I just got a message from uh, our friend Walter Bosley. He said mm-hmm. he was in in that exchange with RPJ and Jaime. Oh, yes, yes. And Jaime, and uh, ultimately, I got a reply from Jaime, at least considering considering that it wasn't ET. Wow. The thing to, that might be fun to watch is the internal implosion that will take place between the slides promoters because somebody is going to have to be held account to the, for this and it's probably not going to be Bergoglio whatever I might think of him he's he's not the prime mover here it's one of two suspects it's either Masson or it's Adam Dew um, hmm. Carrie and Schmidt is peripheral figures but the two the guy with the slides is Dew the guy who organized the event that took all the money from people is Jaime Masson now if Dew pulled a fast one on Jaime then you know there, you can see Jaime suing Dew and saying, "Well, look, yes, it's not an alien body. You, we sh- you didn't give me all the information. This is fraud." And that I can't see Dew suing Massam because Dew's the guy left holding the bag. At the end of the day, here's my confident prediction: they will all throw Adam Dew under the bus. Bergalia's already started to do that. And when that happens, don't be completely surprised if you see somebody, for whatever reason. You know, try and commence legal action against Dew uh, for defrauding them, and then their claim would be we're innocent victims of this Adam Dew guy, and uh, that yeah. would be an interesting, fascinating thing to see. If I was of all of the people involved, if I was Adam Dew, I would be the one sleeping most uncomfortably tonight because he's he's the one where the legal problems might ultimately rest. Right. I, a UFO fraud international incident. Oh, that would be awesome. Well, Red Pill Junkie, can I ask you another question about when the slides first appeared on screen there for the first mm. time, presumably for many people the first time seeing them, was there an immediate uh, reaction to the the sight of the image itself or or do you remember? Well, I felt that everybody was silent. You know, everybody mm. was uh, really closely watching slides. I, I, I really can't remember if there was some kind of, you know, like gasp yeah. or yeah. something. But I, I really don't feel so feel that way, you know. Uh, uh, I think that 
the whole thing came later when when started they started to go with the whole extrapolation of the data that the thing looked like a reptilian you know and then my my, my cousin said see oh my god they, 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 it's always pointing out to the reptilians and I was like yeah maybe not man <laughs> and, yeah. and so because is I'm the image sure. to you to, to any anybody here it, the image to me is just not very interesting it's mm. it's not you know, it, it's not uh, it's not a wow moment when you look at the uh, alien autopsy footage. You're pretty yeah. sure. Well, that that's not a human necessarily. That doesn't look human, uh, regardless. So it's, it's it's an interesting image to look at. Whereas this thing is like, well, I don't know. It looks kind of like a skeletal body to me. Uh, you know, it's it, it never it never took my fancy in any way. Do you guys feel that this could? Possibly then be uh, try to port spin as like something like the Lloyd Pye's Star Child Skull and say okay so we don't have an alien from the Roswell but we still have a pretty interesting mummy there. Yeah, or they will say that um, that that placard is it's mislabeled. Yeah, maybe yeah that the same way like you know ancient aliens who say look you know they say this was like some kind of bird but into it, it was actually the model of an airplane. Well, when uh, I look it, at other mummies, it, when I look at other mummies, it looks pretty similar to me. I don't see anything unusual about it, really. Yeah. No, and and we now have a pretty good lead on what the actual mummy is, and we'll just you know chase it down, find it. There's probably an image. Of of the the you know where the placard has led Micah Hanks and yes Tony Bregalia and anybody else who would have looked, so we should be able to I would think find an image or something that would show mm. uh, hopefully a picture of that mummy and then you know it's like okay game well we're already at game set and match but that's kind of like putting a cherry on top of the Sunday uh, <laughs> after that I can't imagine you know at, at that point then you're into the weird world of I've actually heard somebody and I can't remember who today online say. Um, that the placard was placed there as a disinformation ploy. I, I can't even begin mm. to comprehend what they're thinking when they say things like that. But the military, of course, put the placard there so that when they showed people the top secret alien, it would say mummified body of a two-year-old boy. Or, yeah, you know, and what? they also placed that Bigfoot head behind it, right? Uh, is that <laughs> yeah, it that's is? that Bigfoot head. Yeah, that's the other thing is that the, it was apparent – we were all sitting there right after the reveal because we had some pretty good images then of the slide. And it's like, well, what is that hairy thing that's right behind the mummy? Oh, that, yes. Because we, we had never noticed that before. And then yeah. it starts looking really clear. Not Well, I shouldn't say really clear, but it, it looks a lot like you're looking at a head that's turned, that's turned to the other side of the case, possibly like a wolf or something. You get the sense of, of teeth down below and you kind of get a sense of where the eye would be. And, and this, none of that is, is for sure, but that's what it looks like. And we never heard any mention of, of our alien also has a piece of hair beside it that was never mentioned prior to yeah. us seeing the image. I think Nick. Uh, Redfern actually when he wrote about it and thought that it was at the uh, mummy from the Million Dollar Museum that it might have been a, a monkey or something uh, or, a moose I think or was said. is that what he said and then I saw somebody else's analysis that said it looked like a seated uh, chimpanzee <laughs> yeah <laughs> a stuffed seated <laughs> yeah. chimpanzee but yeah. it, w- it would be interesting you know the first place to look would be you know the National Park Service in Mesa Verde and um, 
what they did with that. Maybe there's some sort of a, a, a paper trail about where that thing is. Maybe it's still sitting in a case in a, in a museum at Mesa Verde uh, National Monument there in Colorado. Who knows? Well, the documentation yeah. they found when the uh, mummy was moved uh, does mention a particular does mention a photograph. So, presumably, we're gonna we'll have that photograph shortly. But like I said, I mean, some people are really going hardcore on that, and I'm kind of disinterested in that part of it now. I don't. I, don't, yeah. I think mm. there's only so far we can go. Yeah, the thing is that the guy's name matches from the actual National Park Service news report. The guy from San Francisco, and right, it, right. it says San Francisco. And if you look at that, I mean, it's not you're not sitting there trying to force a set of letters that match up with what has been deblurred almost to legibility. Well, like Red Pill uh, Junkie was saying there, that you know the only way you can salvage this as an alien story is that uh, by in, in whatever the original date was, 1894, they found the alien mummy then, and you know so. <laughs> That's yeah. that's the you've got yeah. to go to jump through hoops to get that story to work, and it's absurd. I I feel like we're in a superhero organization, you know, Red Pill Junkie. I want to be known as Starhawk from this point on. <laughs> so please just Stop. refer to me as Starhawk. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, let let me maybe I can ask a question to all of you guys. You know, what do you think this means for Roswell research? I use that in quotation marks, but feel free to take the quotation marks off. But what do you think it means maybe for the Roswell case, Roswell research, um, and ufology in general, if anything? Um, okay, uh, I'll go first. I don't, well, there's no connection to Roswell. It really does. You know, the only thing is like the absolute um, um, incompetence of the investigators or willful fraud or whatever it was. And, you know, people say that, that you know, well, actually, uh, Don Schmidt and Kerry said they say this will, <clears throat> excuse me, will sink Roswell if this falls. And, uh, you know, there were, there were some absurd claims about that. I don't think it matters about Roswell. I think it matters about the Roswell investigators. Okay, well, you know, for for me, oh. I, I've worked yeah. a lot on on Roswell, and I've, I've argued a lot of, of with all the the proponents, and it, you know, I don't think there's anything to Roswell even interesting anymore, and I and I, I had to come by that uh, slowly, you know, because there were some good point, there are some good points in you know in favor of something interesting there. So over time, I've gotten to this place. And I'd be willing to debate Roswell with any of the guy. I'd be willing to debate Kevin or anybody because I think there's plenty of stuff that lay people can understand about Roswell where you can show why it's very unlikely that the scenario that they put forward is is real. The fact that the very best researchers, researchers we're told, Kerry and Schmidt, have, have shown themselves to be so terrible at research – it should be an underlining for anyone interested in Roswell of how weak Roswell is. And what, what most people don't understand is that all the claims, all the many claims about seeing bodies and all that stuff, the really the big ticket items in Roswell, that stuff has all sort of disappeared. It's imploded because those witnesses, the star witnesses, the big guys who saw the bodies and saw the saucer and so forth, those have all dwindled down and, we're, and, and, and disappeared because they were discredited, sometimes discredited by people like Kevin Randall. So that most of those are all gone now. So there's sort of a shell that's still built in the public opinion about that, that got its information a long time ago when those stories were big. But the real, the real Roswell superstructure is, is, is 
is you know skeletal. There's nothing. There's nothing inside. There's nothing holding it up. And uh, and I, I'm not going to get into any particular points about Roswell, but I think that that case is a dumb case. You know, it it it, it was interesting, but it's been shown to be you know essentially ridiculous. And of course, I'm a hardcore skeptic. I'd be happy to debate anybody who thinks differently. Well, we might have we might set that up on the show sometime because I'd like to hear it. Uh, sure. Uh, uh, Red Pill did not answer yet. Well, how do you think this will affect the uh, whole Roswell industry, story, myth? What do you want to call it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, my interest, is, my interest in Roswell started to wane down uh, by the late 1990s. I think it started to, the process started, began when I read that Omni article about Roswell, you know, in which the whole thing with the nuns, you know, when, when Schmidt... Oh yes, Randall yes. started to 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 have their their fight, and that's when I started to to get away from it. You know, the fact that I never bothered to read their their the, the Tom Curry's and, and Schmidt's book, Witness to Roswell, says something about my lack of interest about this case. So who knows? I mean, Kevin Randall and Stan Friedman managed to to dodge these bullets, right? You know, their reputation. Is still pretty much unharmed by this event, so I think they will still soldier on, you know, doing their thing with Roswell. But I don't know if the public at large will be willing to pay attention anymore. But that being said, we still have the 70th anniversary in 2017, and I cannot guarantee that there will be something by then, you know, of someone trying to still trying to, to, to inject some fresh air into that case. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think so, too. It's, it, I, uh, it, it's just not going to die. It's just got so much, what's the word, uh, momentum. It's got so much inertia behind it that in the popular mind, it's just, it's just a, a uh, you know, it, it's, it's taken as, 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 as fact and gospel that something weird happened in Roswell and for a subset of people that have heard about it that really haven't gotten into it that much um, still think it's uh, aliens were recovered from a crash vehicle in Roswell. I do not know. I'm, I'm kind of, for me, I'm kind of fairly certain that that's not what happened. But I'm also fairly certain that something important happened there that was very important at the time for some people, for the military especially. Past that, I have no idea. But yeah, the, this you know the fact that they tried to distance themselves from that it was connected to Roswell is telling, and that um, they they probably won't be invited to any more Roswell uh, uh, anniversary <laughs> celebrations anytime in the future. But yeah, uh, yeah the, never the, say the, never. Yeah, the the upshot of it is just it's there's just so much inertia and momentum behind it that I don't think it'll ever ever die. I actually wrote yeah. I, I, I wrote something that and Jim Mosley um, purloined it once. I took that Danny and the Junior song and I t- changed it instead of Rock and Roll will never never die. The Roswell crash will never die. Yeah, and maybe uh, Roswell will morph into something else. You know, maybe the extraterrestrial yeah, yeah. narrative will get discontinued, but some other more alternative narrative will start to get uh, considered, like maybe uh, Mac Tonius's crypto-terrestrial idea. I think Nick Redfern wrote something for, 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 uh, for Mysterious Universe 
you know, saying something about that. How some people starting to consider the 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 Roswell mummy as something to do with the legend, the Hopi legend of the ant people. Yeah. So who knows? You know, maybe maybe something else will be replaced. In, uh, or instead of uh, extraterrestrials and Nazi uh, recovered technology, we'll get something else. Yeah, uh, even our friend Walter uh, Bosley, who's, who's still yeah. sending me texts here, he wrote something a few years ago for Fate about what he said his um, his uh, father told him uh, that who was in the in the Air Force that there was something going on at Roswell had nothing to do with aliens and it had to do with some sort of underground thing that was going on. So maybe it can, can it'll continue in that kind of uh, kind of a vein. So I was thinking I was thinking while I was swimming today that uh, Jim Mosley would have gotten a big kick out of this whole thing. Oh, yeah. He would have enjoyed <laughs> oh, it. Oh, he'd so have loved much. it. Yeah. Yeah, you know what's funny about Mosley and there's nobody like him anymore is that he was equally beloved I think by Total believers are, are total ETH people and 100% skeptics. Yeah, that's uh, and right. uh, or, I mean, to hardcore. What I call them, and I don't know if uh, Lance like this, but I use the term fundamentalist skeptic, where they don't really. Oh, worry. I, thought, I thought you were going to say bastards. But, no, no, but. no. Yeah, the bastard skeptic. No, fundamentalist skepticism meaning you, you like a believer, yeah. you basically just look at the information that agrees with what you already think and ignore anything else. Anyway, yeah, uh, that, that's that's one reason why I really liked Jim Mosley and became friends with him uh, was that he was just so he didn't care and he took such a long view of the thing and he'd been in it so long that you could ask him anything about it and you might not like his opinion but you couldn't really argue with it because he was so well versed in the in the lore. Yeah, if I can answer my own question real briefly. Oh, yeah, um, I'm sorry. Paul didn't go. Oh, no, no, it's all right. On the Roswell thing. Yeah. Um, And I I absolutely mean no offense to Red Pill Junkie as our Mexican representative here. But to me, you know, Roswell has hit the end of the road. And one of the telling hallmarks is that it wasn't in North, you know, it wasn't in the United States or the United Kingdom, um, the places where Roswell has flourished for many years that they took this. Eventually, they had to take it to new territory, relatively new territory in Mexico. And it it mirrors the pattern that you've seen in religion. As religion has died out Mm -hmm. in North America, the evangelicals have been making hay in Africa and South America in areas that are perhaps a little less developed in terms of, of superstition and stuff like that, or at least moving beyond superstition. And it's really the last frontier for them. Jonathan Reed, same thing. After the Jonathan Reed story played out in the United States, it found a new life, briefly, with Jaime Mosan in Mexico. And as soon as I heard that this was going to be in, Mex- if, in, in Mexico City, again, no offense to Mexico, but I realized this, they really are, they're like the, uh, the wild bunch, you know, on the run. So, or Butch and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid on the run, you know, forced to leave the United States, which has been their home for 20 or 30 years, and take the story on the road to people that might still show up as they did in Mexico City and pay money to hear it. But eventually, you run out of places and you run out of people that are going to listen to your story. And I think that's what we're seeing with Roswell. I really do. I think we're seeing um, people aren't listening anymore. It, it had its high watermark in the 80s. And a few bad decisions by the promoters, MJ, you know, latching on to MJ-12 and the conspiracy stuff. Now this, the alien autopsy, you, you find a series of bad decisions or bad things 
that have undermined confidence in it. And I think their audience is shrinking and will continue to shrink. It will always have an audience, but it will not be an audience that's anywhere near the mainstream, which was really where it was 20 years ago. When you think it'll never, it'll never be as small as this podcast audience though, right? (laughs) No, well, not, not my old podcast anyway. Um, Unless I was talking about Roswell and then it might be that small. You never know. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's funny Lance says that. It's funny that Lance says that, but I have more listeners live right now than I've ever had before. Oh, good. (laughs) Let's talk about – well, okay, while they're listening, let's talk about the uh, the aftermath of this. And, you know, there's been been some people that feel like they've been cheated and they think that that, uh, Richard Dolan made the wrong decision. But, uh, you know, there needs to be some accountability. And, and, you know, certainly the the UFO researchers, at the very least, may have had some bad decisions. But, you know, there's uh, there was money involved. This, this is, you know, this is a case of fraud. I mean, there, there's no getting around that there was fraud involved in this case. Well, I, I, I'm not so sure that there's fraud. Um, I mean, you still you can never underestimate how uh, deluded people can be about this sort of religious aspect of UFO belief. I mean, we, I don't think we can say for sure that there was fraud. We probably shouldn't say that, in fact. I, I agree. I think some people will allege fraud, but I don't think unless somebody admits it or unless you take it to a court of law and can prove it. I don't think – I think it's possible. I think it's entirely possible that this was fraudulent. But I also think Lance is right. It's possible that these people are just really incompetent and they're true believers. And that's a bad mix. History has proven that that's a bad mix. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know if we can... Uh, call it for sure fraudulent or it might be a mix of all of those things some fraud mixed in with some true belief i think anthony bregalia for all my criticism of him falls into the true belief incompetent camp i don't think he's fraudulent i just think those are the other two things that he is but somebody else like somebody else in this story there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of people involved maybe they were fraudulent and it might be a mix of all of those things and if that's the case was fraudulent I how, think how, a lot of these people lawyers. Yeah, I think a lot before, of these people <laughs> listened to and looked at what they wanted to see and wanted to believe and that's as far as I'm going to take it because it, you you can convince yourself of anything. And if yeah. there's an ego and a money thing involved which should be taken right out of UFO research, then you can convince yourself that whatever it is you're saying, I think that's what the contactees did in a lot of cases. They confabulated a lot of stuff. And they basically believed it. They didn't think, I'm not lying to people. This stuff happened to me, or I think it was a dream, but it might have happened to me, so it's okay for me to say it. So I'm trying to be charitable with with a lot of these people you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, the reason I ask... The reason I ask is because, I mean, there's been a lot of accusations that Maussan did it exclusively for the money, and to me, I don't think that's really that simple. You know, I think that... He genuinely believes that he is really fighting the good fight, you know, trying to to uncover the truth. You know, uh, I think that he did it more out of a sense of protagonism, you know, going down in history, being the only person able to fill out the National Auditorium with a UFO-related event than... You know, doing it for a profit, and I think that he gave an interview to the, the British tabloid, the Daily Mirrors, claiming that oh, yeah. he lost a hundred thousand dollars out of this. And you know, maybe he did, or maybe he just he just broke even. Like you guys said, you know, maybe the only guy who really 
had any real profit was Adam Dew because he was the one seeking to someone to pay, uh, give him the kind of monetary compensation he was looking for. I think that he gave an interview to, to Alejandro Rojas uh, of Open Mind saying that uh, an American magazine was willing to publish the, the slides at, a year ago, but because they weren't going to pay him, they, he turned him down. Which is an admission yeah. I would never have made if I was him. I mean, just that's <laughs> even if well, it's true, there you go. I wouldn't, there you go. I wouldn't admit yeah. it. That's, uh, but even even in his case, maybe he's just trying to do what a lot of other people have done, which is make some money off of something. There's no, I have no, as a guy who's made money off of making UFO films, I have no problem with people making money off the subject. I in, mm. at all, I never have. What I have problem a problem with is people doing it dishonestly by lying. So it's like a, it's like yeah. a preacher, right? There's two. It's there's a difference between a preacher. Assume you think that there's nothing to religion. There's no God. You can look at two different types of preachers. You can look at the vast majority. They're the ones who genuinely believe there is a God. And even if you disagree with them, you can say, well, okay, I respect your opinion. And then you find the hucksters, you know, the, the snake oil salesmen that you see in the mega churches that you know, drive the million dollar cars and all that sort of stuff. And they are frauds. And you can have both existing in the same. Um, sort of arena, and I think you see that in ufology. Greg's contactee example is, a, I think, a good one. Some of them were frauds, but some of the other ones, I think, genuinely really did believe it, even though it wasn't probably true. So, you know, it's a little more complex than just saying all of these people are frauds. Um, the problem comes that they should have known that the slides didn't show an alien body. That's the mm-hmm. should be the real takeaway. Right. Oh, my God. And the, just, uh, the other thing I was hoping that, you know, the... the that we mentioned is is just this idea of if you can get together with people to try to f- it, it's so much better when you have when you when you're when you have people that are experts or maybe not even experts but just familiar with certain aspects of things that you don't know when you when you're doing any kind of research like uh, for instance uh, well you know I don't I don't know anything about weather so there's been when I did this thing on uh, on the uh, Kelly Johnson case, somebody uh, brought up that I, maybe my weather stuff wasn't wasn't correct. I don't know if it's correct or not. I've written to people who are weather people, but I've never been able to get any good replies to find out if I'm right or wrong or they're well, right. Hey, you know wrong. what, Lance? Send me that. I have to know. I, I have to know some weather because of the piloting stuff. So maybe let me take a crack at it. Sure, sure. Yeah, and and, and you know the the and and and. But by doing it in a in a crowd way, by doing it the way we did it with the uh, slides, it was so nice to be able to have several different people looking at things. Sometimes it was messy because we would all we would all go off on our own, and sometimes we'd replicate the same results with, yeah. without needing to and stuff. But it was still kind of cool to have people who were good at something be able to uh, you know give their input and, and help out. We had a guy, uh, Tim, for instance, who's, who knows a lot about anatomy, who was able to look at uh, the body for us and give us some advice on that. I remember uh, – I'll mention Otis Carr again because I like uh, – I know everyone's riveted to Otis Carr. Uh, <laughs> but when, uh, you when, know- he, when he was on, when he was on uh, the Long John Nebel show and he would do this scientific talking – You can hear you that know, online actually. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, there's some great things. He, he, you know, he would often talk, and people, you know, the, people who don't know anything about these terms, they can't come back. But there's a great episode where he was on with the great science fiction writer uh, Lester Del Rey, and Lester, know, Lester was really smart. 
So he could go back and forth right away with, with Otis and make him look like, you know, make, expose what he was saying as false. Yeah. That's kind of the, this kind of the thing that you get when you do this sort of crowdsourcing of, uh, uh, of, uh, of research. You can get people who from all different walks of life who know something that you, that you may not be familiar with and can give you that input. And that's why it's so valuable. You know, that's why it was so cool the way it all worked out. Okay, I, yeah. we got to wind down here. I had oh, Paul, did you want to ask something? I had a question about that. Sure, I was just going to agree with Lance and say it's also important to note that we didn't always agree with each other. That there was were my members, question. There were members of the group who, for instance, um, were not comfortable with my May 4th joke. Uh, I think most people were cool with it, but there were a couple that indicated to me that they thought that was a mistake. And, you know, when the Providence thing came up the other day, uh, Tim and myself, and I think Chris maybe too, raised the Providence issue more forcefully than others had. And, you know, so there was always, nobody ever got their nose out of joint though. Um, you know, yeah. didn't take it as a personal insult or anything, didn't necessarily agree. I mean, I went ahead and did my May 4th thing anyway as a joke. But, you know, at least I, I didn't mind that people raised it and said, well, okay, maybe fine, I value your opinion. So that that is so different from the way that we're learning the slides promoters operated that I think that's, you know, it's night and day. And you can see real research on a relatively penny-ante subject, but real research done in a collegial way in our group and in their group, I, I don't even know what you would call it, but it's not real research, and it clearly it's emerging was not collegial either. You mean you mean cordial or collegial as in college? No, collegial in the sense that everybody was being open and honest with everybody else and that they were all operating, you know, they're all singing from the same right, hymn okay. book. As a- yeah, because I, I yeah. looking at the, you know, I went through all the, the back and forth. I was reading them, not really reacting, and I noticed there wasn't too, there wasn't any horrible dissent. It was just kind of like, have you worried about this? Have you, have you considered this? It's really important that we have, you know, we cover this aspect so that it, it doesn't look like we're messing around, which, which I thought was good. And, um, I, I'm well, glad I it was coming from within the group, so there's a self-policing going on. I'll also say the last – this is my final word, and then you guys can wrap up. But I'll also say I think it was important that we also had a sense of humor about it. But, you know, to have a sense of humor about it, realize this is not the be-all and end-all of, of the end times and the death and life of the world or whatever. And I think or, that – Or is, a UFO again, study in, for that matter. Well, yeah, I think that's in contrast, again, to the slides promoters who – uh, what was it? You know, the very name, be witness, be witness to the most important <laughs> event. And Bregalia would continually go on that this is going to change the world and blah, blah, blah. And it's like we were going, well, cool, if that happens, that I think I'm along for that ride. But otherwise, let's surf the wave and have some fun while we're doing this. Yeah. So, and the other thing is, if you do in these uh, small anonymous groups, at least, uh, and private groups, you can be loose with people. And get the, you know, that's the glue kind of that holds people together. And then when they present what they want to present, they're, you know, whether you, even though you have dissent within the group a little bit, you're pretty much together on what you want to say. I mean, when people write scientific papers, they do the same thing. Or historical papers or anything. There's a few different people writing it. They talk about their dissension and about what, you know, the problems with, that they had within the group and that how they came to a conclusion in spite of that. And uh, well, that, that, that's it, missing too, I think. Exactly. When, when Kurt, Kurt indicated earlier that he, he, he thinks he jumped the gun on his original post about the deblurring. 
And he and I had a little, Kurt, you probably remember this, had a little back and forth on Facebook between ourselves. And then Kurt posted something on the, uh, on the Roswell Slides group page saying, Paul, you know, would you like to write sort of a, a, a counterbalance to this or whatever it was? And I, I didn't. I said, no, Kurt, you've done nothing wrong. It's just I might have been slower. Yeah. But, you know, Kurt, Kurt didn't jump up and down and scream and defriend me on Facebook. He, he actually <laughs> went out and said, look, Paul, would you like to write something? And I assume Kurt was meaning on his own website or his yeah. blog and saying, look, to, to offer a, a different opinion. And I said, no, no, we're cool, Kurt. But we had that conversation amongst ourselves and nobody's feelings got bent out yeah. of shape or nobody was called an alcoholic or whatever. So um, <laughs> I've, I've was, had the was, same. As, yeah. as, well, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. At the end of the day, what we did was fun. And I don't get the sense from the slides promoters that they had any fun. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I have had the same thing with Kurt, too. In fact, like I said at the beginning of the show, hardcore-type skeptical people used to kind of frighten me. I guess they kind of do still, but the thing is, how do I get what, I've, you know, what, I've, what conclusions I've come to challenged unless I have it by somebody who is not involved with anything I'm doing and comes into question it? I have to prove or you know, shore up my opinion, my research, or whatever it was. Kurt actually sent me something uh, privately a few weeks ago. Uh, about some research that I had done, and I disagreed with him on it. And he said, would you like to change what I said, or would you like to uh, argue with me about it or, or state your case? I'm, I don't. This is exactly what happened. But he took my comments to heart, and he changed what he said to reflect what I, you know, the, the, the research that I had done. I have had the same kind of arguments with people that in the UFO community, and they, they, they freak out. Some people, not all of them, some of them. It's not terrible to disagree with somebody. It's not even terrible to vehemently disagree with somebody. You just have mm-hmm. to be civilized about it and either agree to disagree or one person has to, one person or both have to change their opinion slightly. And I don't know why that's such a scary thing. Apparently, it's a scary thing in a lot of areas of uh, public discourse now. So it's not just ufology. Well, I, just, I think that when someone comes up with an idea <clears throat> or claim, a UFO claim, I think their first inclination ought to be, let me find the person who is most likely to have some counterpoint to this. Let me get as much counterpoint as I can. And that almost never happens. You know, when David Rudiak was talking about his work, he was supposed to try to do some of the image work. The first person he went to was Frank Warren. Well, I wouldn't have gone to Frank Warren. You know, it's the wrong, you know, it's a, it's, it's just not the way of, 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 uh, getting the best result. Yeah. You know, Go you to somebody who scares you. What's that? Go to somebody who scares you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and he and I have have uh, have communicated uh, a, a lot more, and I hope we can work together on things because I think he's more open to that than some other people. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna uh, because this thing is going long. Who knows how long it will go? I I was just gonna mention the we'll wrap up a letter now. a letter that I wrote to one of the slide team. Uh, this is, I wrote back in February, and you can guess who it is. I wrote uh, now. This has been February fourth. I wrote now. Now let me suggest to you that you should prepare yourself for this whole slides thing to implode. I don't know anything for sure. But I would guess that someone's going to find the true source of the figure in the images. And I know this will be disappointing to you. If not, then great. It's an interesting story no matter what. But all the wrong people are involved for me to think that anything earth-shattering is going to result from it. 
So that was something I, I was trying to be kind. But uh, yeah. of course, I, the response I got was, you're an idiot and you're, good, you're the one who's going to be embarrassed. So, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, instead of interesting, I will take that under advisement. It would be, probably be right. the, the, the worst thing he could prob- prob- possibly say to you as a, as a civil response. Right, right. <laughs> I was so disappointed with this because I thought that, uh, well, first of all, you know, there is not, as far as I can tell, not a shred of their story uh, held up. And I thought that there was at least something genuinely interesting in this. And everything about their presentation was known before. And, you know, I thought they were safe. I thought they hit some aces up their sleeve. But there was, you know, other than the slides themselves, in which are just clear, but there were no significant details about, you know, the meetings with the Eisenhowers. And, and you know, there were a number of, of extraordinary claims that were based on the just the most um, superficial evidence. They had a picture of uh, Eisenhower on the back of a train at a whistle-stop tour. And somehow that became a connection that, uh, you know, they had uh, – military connections and were, were were ushered into the secret hangar where the aliens were. And it was, the, 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 you know, there, there are, it wasn't as good as the craziest Jack the Ripper identity, you know, thing where, you know, it was the Royals or something. I mean, it was so sketchy and it was things were miles apart. And yet, because it needed to be Roswell and it needed to be 1947, you know, there was this incredible leaps. Uh, and, you know, and there were several more that I'm, that I'm forgetting, but it's, it, it really is, um, it's going to be incredible to go back, retrace the story, the claims that were made uh, versus what we know now is, well, very little evidence. And, and the thing is, if, if this had been, remained an unknown, it would be, there would be some, almost some value in it. But, I mean, just, you know, if this was like a financial thing, this is like a $2 million swing. I mean, this is left, this didn't leave a, this didn't, this wasn't a, a skyscraper that now you have a flat earth. You, you, this left a crater. I mean, it is, you know, a disaster. Uh, the person that's been on with us and not had, much, uh, not had as much chance to say anything is Red Pill. Um, yeah. I will ask him as the last question, how do you think this is going to affect things and change things if, the, you know, if, if there is no reaction or not an not a, uh, ace-up-the-sleeve reaction, as, as uh, Kurt suggested? Well, I feel, you know, the, the people involved will try to be on denial, right? You know, they will try to say, I mean, I, I, I perfectly see Mao San saying, no, 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 I mean, what I, sh- what I showed was the real deal, just as the monkey he showed in 2011 or whatnot, you know, was also the real deal. I mean, he's still uh, uh, defending Jonathan Reed and Billy Meyer for crying out loud. So, yeah. you know, that's, that says something about the man and his, his adaptability, you know, to keep being on denial. As for the rest of the people involved, uh, who knows, you know, I mean... I'm sure they will manage to 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 justify them in the in the in the their eyes why they did what they did and you know their motivations and, and all that. I, I want I, I wanted to ask something to Paul. You know, uh, so who knows if Adam Dew is still planning to release his Kodachrome documentary? But what about you? Do you think that you might? be willing to to do a documentary about this whole thing about you guys and how you managed to to defuse the whole Roswell slide story uh, 
two things. First of all, somebody on the Radio Mysterioso page just posted much A period do about nothing, which I think is <laughs> hilarious. Steve Ray, I think that's hilarious. That's perfect. Uh, secondly, no, I haven't made a UFO-related documentary since 2007. So despite the fact some, you know, I, I'm shooting a feature film this summer in a month, which hopefully Greg will be working on. So um, I, I don't think but, there's but enough But you will entertain. Oh, there could be. Uh, you know, you'll represent us, right? I mean, you know, this is, you know, this is like, uh, there's all sorts of things about uh, investigative drama and everything. You know, we need to find somebody really handsome to play me, though. <laughs> Bruce Willis. You know, it, it always comes down to, would I get paid to do it? In which case, sure. But I'm not sure there's enough material here, frankly. I, I, I do think there is material. I think the documentary that would be interesting would be to do about a 90-minute documentary along – and Errol Morris would be the perfect guy to do it. Yes. You know, the guy who did Fog of War or, or uh, um, the Fred Leuchter story and deconstruct Roswell over the last 35 years. The people, the myths, mm-hmm. how it all got built up and and the seedy side too but also the, the belief side. I, I think that would be a really interesting film and the slide story would be part of it. Stephen Greer's film would be part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, MJ-12, all of that. That would be an interesting film. But a, a, an actual television documentary solely on the, the Roswell slides, not only would I not want to do it, I can't actually see what the story would be over even an hour. And I'm pretty sure Adam Dew is going to find out that there isn't much of a story left for him either. Uh, so my answer would probably be no, in all seriousness. But a Roswell documentary, now that would be interesting. Um, if it was done sort of from a Benson sailor you know, let's examine the mythology of how this was created kind of thing. That yeah, would be without taking a point of view of whether it's false or true or anything like that. And Errol Morris is very good at that. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, um, Fog of War and um, Mr. Death, the Fred Leuchter story, those are two of the great documentaries in the last 30 or 40 years. Yeah. So but what you would want to find somebody, I would suggest, outside of ufology. And that I don't mm. consider myself in ufology, but I would absent myself from that. Um, I would say go find a filmmaker who has never even thought about UFOs before and let him have or her have a look at it. I know some of those documentarians, so that's an interesting question. Maybe I could interest them in that kind of film. That, that I would produce it, but I wouldn't, be the, I wouldn't direct it. Unless anybody else wants to say anything, I'll, I will thank um, uh, Paul Red Pill Junkie, um, Kurt, and uh, Lance for being on today oh. and discussing what happened. Go ahead. Star- oh, I was just going to say... <laughs> uh, somebody give me a website address to check out the work. Uh, why why w- don't you w- give w- both w- website addresses? You know, for the uh, for the, uh, uh, the what, what's it called? Well, Dew's address and, and yours as well. Um, the one for the Roswell Slides Research Group, which contains the reconstructions of how they did it by Tim and Lance, um, as well as uh, Kurt's general synopsis, slightly rewritten, is www dot roswell slides all one word dot com does anybody know the address for the uh for uh, adam dew's site uh, Slidebox media it's yeah. just slideboxmedia.com yeah yeah okay i just if people yeah. want to see that their their side of it too that that would be uh I, I, website is bewitness.mx ah <laughs> that's right oh, well, don't forget to mention some. our uh don't forget to mention our, our, our motto, which I think Paul came up with, which is, of course, it's a mummy dummy. <laughs> yes. I'm still selling oh, you know swag. What? And it's still Mother's Day, so it's appropriate. 
There you, uh, you know, there's a, there's a Twitter hashtag on that, so you might want to check out. I think it's, uh, yeah. yeah. So we, it's trending now. But uh, this be si- uh, hashtag be silent, I think that was one of the <laughs> uh, What about uh, be refund? <laughs> okay, guys, thanks very much. Paul has requested Thank a song did. at the end here, and I'm going to play it. It's She Blinded Me With Science by Thomas Dolby. <laughs> All right. Uh, Excellent. All right. Thanks so much, you guys, and uh, we'll see what happens on the on the uh, on the site here in the next few days after I put it up. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Okay, guys. All right. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Good night. Good night. Thanks. So, uh, thanks so much, uh, Lance, Kurt, Paul, Red Pill Junkie, and uh, I, I notice a couple of you are still on on online with me here. I'm I'm actually taking off because I want to hear Thomas Dolby. Oh, okay. So, thanks so much. I'd like to thank my guests again so much for coming on, talking about um, probably historic thing that just happened in the last few days. Tyler!